Okay, wait. I want to tell you something. What? I made a decision. What? I'm going to buy a fake fiddle fig tree. Oh, Rebecca, are you recording? As long as you're hearing us through your AirPods from the computer, the phone can just be next to you. No, I was saying to Casey, busy, that we should all be so good at this by now, even if we're not sound professionals. And and yet still, I feel like I appreciate and respect the stubbornness to not get good at it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a very particular person that's like, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm I'm not not going to do do it. it. Right. I'm going to hold out until I can actually talk to to people. To be honest, though, it did. It was like it's been very confusing for me because I perform in the those like thrilling adventure hour shows um, and uh, with a lot of professional voiceover artists and things. And like they all had it. They all know their stuff. But like in order to use your good microphone and run it through your Zoom so that the person on the other end gets this sound. Yeah. You can't have an SD card in here. You can't be using this as a recording device. You just have to plug it in differently through your computer. So right. when I would do the Thrilling Adventure Hour shows, until I knew that, I was just like, I heard good sound. And I was like running it through my Zoom. But you guys are just hearing me through my computer speakers. But I'm recording right. good sound. Why Do you is like it so difficult? This? <laughs> no, I don't. I didn't. I have no. I have no need just, for this information at all. But like, but then, but then, you know, like doing other people's podcasts, like doing those these live shows that I've done. I've all of my press for Girls Five Eva. Like yeah. doing the Sirius XM like radio tours and all of that stuff, like it actually has been really helpful to know now how to do this because I don't also just like you can't rely on other people like your you know assistants or significant. Is others your assistant listening? <laughs> no, he's good, but he he knows like he, but even he like didn't know about yeah hooking the sound. You have to do this thing differently to get the sound from this mic onto someone else's computer so they can record it. Yeah. Or he might not be there. Or he might not be there. Because, you know, there's stuff. There's other stuff. I need a salad. You know what I mean? I mean, right? Exactly. Or a latte. Right. Of course. I mean, there's always a latte to be gotten. There's always a latte. Yeah. All right. Well, guys, we're already having fun. (laughs) <laughs> and we're we're just getting started. Hi, everybody. It's me. It's Busy Phillips. This is Busy Phillips is doing her best. I think we're all doing our best. I hope we're all doing our best. I know that my friend Casey St. On just had better days. Oh, my Lord. I know this because we're friends. IRL. And I had to send her flowers this past week because I just was like, listen, sometimes... You got to send a friend flowers when you just know that they're ha- going through it. You had and to. Can I, I tell to. you how much I love that and how much I do that? I actually do that regularly. Send flowers to friends. I love it. I'm a huge proponent of sending flowers. Well, guys, that voice you heard, you don't know yet, but you're about to. This is our <laughs> our guest host, Rebecca Carroll, who is the author of the memoir, Surviving the White Gaze, 
about transracial adoption and the harrowing search for her racial identity. Um, literally everyone in the world has raved about your book. Everyone. <laughs> Trevor Noah I, called you a cultural icon. I know. How amazing is that? That was the one when we were talking about learning all of this, like, Zoom equipment. Like, I did my whole tour virtually, as you were just talking about doing all your press virtually. And that was the one show that I would have loved to have done in real life. Like, everything else was cool because it's like, you know, you do your Zoom. What's that? So you could have just looked at his dreamy face? Looked at his dreamy face and just sort of like, yes. He looked really cute in that interview. He is really cute, guys. He is really cute, cute. but he looked particularly cute on that virtual Rebecca Carroll I know. He looks good now that he's doing his, like, his hair, like, his fro is Mm. on point. Like, you know, yeah. Not to objectify Trevor. I'm okay. Listen, you know what? I'm okay with it because as a woman who's been in media since I was a teenager... I just feel like it's fine to objectify men sometimes because it's, I mean, maybe that's wrong. Maybe we got it is a little wrong. catching. Up, we got some catching. Up I just to do. feel like I just feel like <laughs> we have it's, a reserve. <laughs> I feel like yes, exactly. Thank you. Also, yeah. he's like he's the perfect person, sort of, to objectify because he's so smart and interesting and objectively gorgeous. Yeah. Well, he's right, not a dummy. Except- you know. <laughs> Which is, which I mean, it's like not so we can objectify intelligent people, but I not guess so. dumb, dumb dumbs. I mean, um, listen, but, but I he could have also, rocks in his brains and he'd still be pretty cute. Well, wow. right, but also, I mean, I think it's okay to think that he's a, an attractive, handsome individual. That's not necessarily objectifying. Okay, him. there you go. Right, we're not objectifying right? him. I'm not objectifying. I don't. Him. Although yeah. I do think he's. Kind of dreamy. I've seen him in person a few times. I saw him at like a, an Emmy party a few years ago, and I was just like, kind of gazing at him from afar. He's same. You didn't talk to him. I didn't. I don't think so. I, I think I might have said hi. I can't remember. I sort of black mm. out at those things, like not because of drinking, but because, <laughs> <laughs> but because also I, because of drinking. But a also bit. because of also a <laughs> little <laughs> bit because of drinking. No, but right. like. Rebecca, I'm sure that in your day you've moved in some some fancy circles and been in mm-hmm. some parties, and I don't know how comfortable you are in them, but I feel like it's the universal thing that no matter who you are, where you're, co- wherever, no one is comfortable in those things, and you're all just like kind of wandering around. Do you have a different experience? I have sort of a schizophrenic feeling about it. Like, I fucking love the idea of it, and I love the room of it and the space and everybody dressed up and, you know, like, I love the glamour of it, but I do think that you are right that being in a room where everybody is sort of like, I'm doing this because I'm supposed to do this and because people have expectations of how I'm supposed to be doing this. And I don't really know if I should have more than one drink or maybe I've had too many drinks. And should I talk to this person that I've never met before? So I totally, totally agree. Um, but I do love the glamour of it. I've well, never I... done a cool thing. I've never done a cool thing at one of those <laughs> parties. One time I was invited. I, I was in L.A. for work. In the 1990s, it was um, what I'm so tired, you guys. What was the Ben? Oh, Ben Stiller, Reality Bites, 
Ben Stiller okay. reality bites was just to co- just about to come out and I was invited to a fancy party at a fancy person's house and like this is this is the era I'm dating myself. Gary Shandling was there who I knew Gary Shandling a little bit because of like right. he knew my boss. And then I saw Ben Stiller who was like the cool guy and very I was cool like, in that moment. Yeah, very cool in that moment, still <laughs> cool. And I was still like cool, but- I'm not going to, like, I'm a big comedy fan. I'm not going to um, make a big deal out of Ben Stiller. I'm just going to stand here and be cool. And, like, Cheryl Crow, I think, was at this party. Everyone who was cool in that moment was at this party. And suddenly, tap, tap, tap on my shoulder, and I turned around, and it was Ben Stiller. And he said, hey, I'm Ben. I think I know you from somewhere. And no, I said, he didn't. Yeah, he did. And I said, oh, my God, I love your mom. That's an appropriate answer, though. I was going to say, I was going to say, correct answer. Yeah, that is the correct answer. Okay, two things about that. One, I am that person, though, that will go up to somebody. Like, I remember (laughs) at one of the events that um, maybe, I mean, I don't want to date myself either, but maybe 10 years ago, but Chris Rock was at a thing. And I was like, Chris Rock is here. How can I not go and talk to Chris Rock? How can I not go and say, Chris Rock, hi, you're Chris Rock. But right, like, but it turns out celebrities don't love that if you're not a celebrity, right? That's the first thing. The second thing is I can't believe you brought up Reality Bites because my son just introduced me to Stranger Things. Oh, sure. And the fact that Winona Ryder is like having this like second coming and is yeah. playing this part that is so, yeah. like, a- yeah. everything and and not, right? Yeah, like, right. It's, it's something you've not seen before, and yet you recognize her a little bit. I'm 100%. living for it. Mm-hmm. She's so, it's like so essentially Winona Ryder. She's exactly. just like, she's like just There's always very of her ethereal. There. Yeah. Yes. Just essential Winona Ryder. It's like, um, I'm trying to describe it. Like maybe busy as an actress, you can describe uh-huh. it. It's like the way that her jaw is like always open and she looks like she wonders what's going on. Like it's always. I had an acting teacher once that called that the carp. Don't look like a, <laughs> don't look like a carp. But it works for her. Like, it does work for her. But I do think that there is... Winona forever. There is a thing that happens, though, sometimes when, like, certain actors where they have their mouth open and you're... It is carpish. Carp. Yeah. Carp like the fish guys. Her, she has, like, this essential um, determination. Mm, Essential determination is kind of an amazing saying. Essential determination. I think I have an essential determination. Oh, you yeah. have an essential like determination in terms of um, like ambition and yes. creativity, oh, right? Thanks. And the things that you want to do. Mm-hmm. Like her, I think her character acting, if you call it that, I don't know. But every role she has played, even if it's Beetlejuice or, or oh, you know, so Heathers. Good. Like you can see this kind of essential determination mm. in the character. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think she brings that to everything she does. Yeah. I well, am happy. You also have an essential determination, you, Rebecca yes. Carroll. It's, I mean, it, it's in your book, Surviving. Did you read it? The, the White Gaze. Yeah, I didn't get to read it yet. But Casey read it, but I didn't read it. And I'm just being honest about it because I hate lying about things. Same. Number one. Same. And also number two, I really do want to read it. Um, and I'm going to. It just, uh, it just doesn't no, happen. No, I appreciate before, that. Before I, really I when I, from the time when I found out you, we were going to get to have you as our special guest host and this moment right now, I did not. I, cu- I just couldn't do it. 
Yeah. I had, I there was a lot happening. I understand. If you do, <laughs> it's totally fine. I'm glad that you said that because I would keep referencing the book and I'd be like, did you read it? Did, did you not read that? Busy? Listen, did you- I like also- that you asked. <laughs> I, I have to say something. I am like never, I, I mean, I really want to, I'm going to read the book and everyone at home, I think you're you gonna, should also I think get you're it, like and read it. it. I'm excited to read it. Uh, I just like, we had Casey Wilson on a few weeks ago for her book and she's a friend of mine and I had to call her in the morning and I was like, can we push two hours? Cause I didn't, I didn't finish your book and I can't, I can't talk to you about your book. You're coming on to talk about your book and I cannot talk to you about your book because especially because I know you so well, but also because I've written a book and I know how right. fucking hard it is it and is. I don't want to like fake it. So mm-hmm. I'm, so I'm just being honest with you. And she was like, Oh my God, you don't even have to read it. I was like, Casey, don't be, yeah. don't do that. No, I'm not going to say that. I want yeah. you to read it. I want, <laughs> yeah. I want to read yeah. it. <laughs> and I want to hear from you after you read it. You will. Okay. I'll probably be Good. crying. I'll probably cry. There's some moments. There's definitely some moments that are a little tear jerky. There's also some funny moments and there's also some very bizarre moments. <laughs> Aren't there? Casey? How long did it, how long did it take you to, to write your, your memoir? So here's the thing. And like exploration. I have been, had been an avid journal writer from the time I was like 10 or 11, obviously not that interesting uh, at the 10 or 11 age. It was dear diary. I went to ballet class. Good night. Right. That was the entry of a diary. But then as I got into my teens and started to wrestle with a lot of fucked up stuff, which which we all do, um, I, you know, I wrote more intensely. So I have like volumes and volumes of journals that I used as references. And I actually thought it was going to be a whole lot easier because of all of these journals. It was somewhat easier. But it turns out writing a memoir is not just about like connecting like journal entries. (laughs) It's a real craft um, so I would say from start to finish, it took me a year. Uh, that was about the same for me. Uh, and did you love your editor? Yes, I did. And I didn't did love find... her at first. I loved oh, really? her. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I loved her because there was a bidding war. I don't uh-huh. mind saying Great. for the proposal. Okay. And I was going to ask, did you, you did a, like a proposal and did you yes. write like, like a, did you write a portion of the book and that was part of it? I worked on the proposal as long as I worked on the book. Wow. Like I have, I also have an amazing agent, literary agent, and she just kept sending it back and saying, just this, we're almost there, we're almost there. So I worked really, really hard on the proposal. And then we had a bidding war. And so there was these three editors who I really, really liked at mm-hmm. major publishing houses and finally went with the, the editor that I went with and... Then I sort of like after my first draft, when she sent back her notes, I kind of hated her. Right. But I think that that I think that that is pretty normal Um, because I yeah, because she you know, of course, you they rave when they're trying to buy your book, they rave about your proposal. And so then when I when she sent me back her notes that were like, I don't really know what you're trying to say here. I'm like, fuck you. Yes, you (laughs) right. Then what are we you're like, then what are we doing doing? here? Exactly. Then why am I here? I get so I get so angry. You take uh-huh. it. Very what do you want from me? I take it so yeah. personally. Did yeah. you, it's hard yeah. not to. First of all, it's not just your it's writing; your it's your life. So you're like, yeah. what? What are we like? What are you talking about? Like, what? Yeah. I, I, I can't. I can't. Yeah. It's interesting yeah. for me in book writing. I have I've never written a memoir, but I've 
obviously worked in, in doing books for other people and, and a couple books for myself. And after years in TV writing for other people and writing daily TV for other people, um, and just being told, like, you just get told, like, what to do. It was yeah. a very unique experience for me to have someone say, like, well, here's what I would do, but, like, you can take it or leave it. Like, it's your book. And I would be like, what? <laughs> like, that was very <laughs> weird for me. And I'd be like, no, you have to tell me what to do, though. But, like, tell me. Like, you must tell yeah. me tell me, <laughs> you know, and then, <laughs> and then my editor would be like, no, I cannot tell you. It is your decision. You, you must yeah. decide. And I was just like, just, uh, melted into a pile of. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I think for me with my editor and I don't know, Rebecca, how you worked with yours, but like I was looking for someone to, help me sort of call and shape some portions, some stories, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. or some of the, some of it, did you write it chronologically? How did your, how does your brain work? Did you have to go from like the beginning to the current? Well, present? I, I didn't co go to the present. I went to, uh, until I met um, my husband and then I had my son um, because that's the full circle of it. Uh, the last, my son will be 16 in July and oh, we, wow. my husband and I have been married for 17 years. And so, oh. so it stopped at that point because the last 17 years are what ha allowed me to write the, the first chunk. Right. And I had mm -hmm. to start from the beginning because the beginning was the white gaze. Like I grew up in this very, I was adopted by hippie white artist parents and raised in rural, rural New Hampshire. And we, the first six years of my life were in this huge farmhouse on top of a dirt hill road with acres of, of natural world and gardens. And we ate outside dinners in the evening and it was absolutely idyllic and dreamy. And that was the white gaze, right? Mm. So that sort of bubble served my brother and sister, their biological children, when we moved out of that bubble. But it didn't serve me because it didn't prepare me for what would very soon become clearly, you know, the way in which I was perceived and the subject and target of racism. Mm. Right. Yeah. So I started there so that people could see um, and really like absorb how idyllic it is while also realizing how complicit they are. Mm -hmm. Right. And seeing right. how like, oh my God, there are no, black people here except for this child that's been right. brought into this family in this world and there's and they love her they loved me but they're not pr protecting her or giving her the tools for the day that her fifth grade teacher tells her not just that she's pretty for a black girl but that most black girls are really ugly oh my god oh jesus so you know the first of many of those incidents where i was like what is that like what even is that and it took a long time before I had the language to contextualize it. And here's a question I have for you for, I mean, first, like with your white parents, um, it never, I assume, I'm assuming it never occurred to them. You are correct. <laughs> right? You are correct. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. And it, that like, was... it's just not a part of 
what they and did they have they grap did they grapple with it did they come to terms or did it you know they're not real grapplers no okay (laughs) they're not real grapplers um my dad is you know has an ego the size of a small country and um is very was very um pointed and specific about the world in which he was going to curate and make for his family Mm. um and my mom um an incredibly loving talented beautiful wonderful person sort of was into that you know Mm -hmm. um and so you know and that's that that's their relationship and so that's the way that they raised us um the way they wanted to see us. And, you know, as a parent, Busy, I know that you, you must understand and I'm sh- how we have to struggle if we are engaged in a certain way with how we see our children, how, we, mm-hmm. how they want to be seen, mm-hmm. and um, to not project our expectations on them. Right. But, you know, as I say, my parents were not real grapplers. They also weren't real, real into parenting, Right. They were well because we're the same generation, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Gen X, like we have, we have the parents that were like, I mean, (laughs) you're good. Here's some combos. You're good. (laughs) Yeah, you're good. good. I know. I mean, combos. My mom, like, literally, it was my mom's gonna be listening to this, and she'll call me and she'll be like, "That is not true, Elizabeth." But like, we had just like. The frit, like, I just like made my own nachos after school. Like, it wasn't the same as the parents of millennials and then now what we are, what which we're is doing. Yeah. Our, our kids, which is like, I feel like I am constantly battling my instincts from how my parents, like right. the things that are just sort of like inborn in me from the way that my parents were disengaged. And right. then my other instinct, which is like to be a helicopter, like right, right, how the right. millennials were, but I know that that's not great either. So I'm like, yeah, right. constantly questioning my parenting. And but I think that that's what that's part of parenting, though. Correct. That is part of parenting is constantly questioning it. Right. My son is reading my memoir now <gasps> for the first time. Interesting. And had some issues with something in it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I tweeted that like I really I had to take a moment to mourn the fact that I'm not like Beyonce when her memoir comes out and I can respond <laughs> just by saying you know what I'm Beyonce so that's why I did that um, but instead you know he asked me something very personal and I brought it up in my in in therapy and she said no well that's see that's a good sign that's a sign of secure attachment like good parenting that he felt he could say that to you so it's like you know there are mm. I think there are things that we that we should have in place as parents, but that we also have to, you know, grapple <laughs> or challenge or interrogate what we're doing and how we're doing it pretty much every day. One thing I've been really proud of right from the jump is that I feel like I caught on really soon, really quickly to like, this kid isn't like anything I thought he was going to be like. How many kids do you have? I have two boys and they're, well, they're, they're men. Older. They're men. They're 21 and 19. How is that possible? 
It happened, uh, well... When you were 13, 14? <laughs> one was a surprise and <laughs> a little bit younger than a lot of than a lot of my contemporaries. And then, uh, yeah. But, you know, but just caught on really quickly. Like, this is... Even when he was really little, like, this is his life. Like, how yeah. am I going to help him live his life? You know right. what I mean? And so, yeah. And so I always... I've always had this phrase in my mind because people constantly talk about helicopter parenting, helicopter parenting, and trying to avoid being a helicopter. And I always keep the phrase in mind, try to be a net, not a helicopter. <laughs> so I try oh. to I try to let them make their own mistakes and catch them like right underneath that mistake. You know? <laughs> I, I do. And I and I love that. And of course I don't want to turn this into, you know, like a um a too serious note, but of course it's different raising a black boy. Of course. Um, and, you know, the way in which I don't want to frighten him, mm. but I also want him to be prepared. Yes. And I have to, every time he walks out the door, I have to, you know, like do some breathing um, while also, you know, keep just keeping it together. I mean, but that's the universal thing, right? Well, <laughs> Becca, I, keeping it together. So I do not have a black child, but, uh, and obviously not the same, but I have a gender, I have a non-binary gay child. Mm -hmm. And it, I've had discussions with some of my black friends that like, that must be what, I mean, this is what I'm feeling now when I get hate messages like I get, I get them, I get them, you know, toward me from on Instagram or whatever in the world about my kid and, and sending this kid into the world, knowing that yeah. there's like a portion of people that are yeah. going to hate them based yeah. just on I, who they are is I mean, it's been really difficult. I mean, this is the first time like I've had to think. I didn't think about it when Birdie was born. I didn't think about it for the first, you know, 11 years of their life or whatever. And now I'm like being faced with this. And I have to say it is like super fucking overwhelming to know yeah. that people yeah. want to harm, will want to harm your child just yeah. based on who they are. Like yeah. it is... And you can't, and not, like, as much as I could ever want to be like empathetic, I still don't even know what it is because, you know, Birdie presents like a cisgender little girl right now, you know, and that might mm -hmm. change as they get older. But like, I don't even know how you send your son into the world. Like, I so don't, I, like, I actually just, just don't know. So to bring it full circle, though, um, it's really the reason I wrote the book, um, which is that in 2014, when Michael Brown was shot, um, my son was eight and he said, Mom, are you going to get shot? And then he said, am I going to get shot? And I would tell you the culmination of the ferocity and rage and protectiveness, all those feelings and also the sort of nonchalance in which my parents sort of moved through the world without thinking how in danger I was. Always. I just, it just, it just, I had never felt anything like it. And it was then that I thought I need to process this 
and I need to excavate this and I need to do it for my kid. This book is for him. Yeah. I was, Rebecca, I was having a conversation with someone in my family. Um, you know, those, <laughs> those conversations that mm-hmm. you have mm-hmm. with someone in your family. And I was proud of them for actually having the conversation because that's not always how that goes. Mm, and, yeah. um, you know, and it's one of those things where you try to articulate, we can never know. We can never know what it's like. All we can do is right. listen. Yep. But they were saying like, well, explain to me, like I, you know, I'm trying to explain like what our privilege is and, you know, and I was saying, remember the way that you felt when you sent your son to be in a war? (laughs) Remember the way, (laughs) remember the way that you hoped it would be okay, but you weren't sure (laughs) that's, that's every morning. That's every morning yeah. for some people, yeah. you know, every yeah. morning of their, their life. And so, yeah. and remember how unfair it probably felt when mm. you looked at other people whose sons weren't going to a war. Yeah. That's, That's a very, very smart analogy, Casey. Yeah, it really is. And I've never heard that before, but that's like exactly fucking it, isn't it? I'm just going to point people to you now, because I'm because I'm tired. I'm really tired. Well, that's I'm not what I was going to say. I'm yeah. always so happy when someone's trying to, you know, wants to have that conversation, and you know, and I get nervous sometimes that I'm going to like fuck up and say it wrong. But well, speaking of which, so Mark and I were we live in New York now, Rebecca. Yes, and well, Mark I'm here I, in Bed Stuy. Hey, oh hi, we could be friends. Yeah. Mark and I were walking through Chelsea on Sunday afternoon. And outside of a restaurant, there was, like, a black man in his, I mean, he looked like he was probably in his 20s, maybe 30s, on his knees, white police officers, and everybody just kept walking, two cars, two police cars, and I was like, we got to do, we have to do the thing. We have to, we have to to stand here. Well, we just have to, we have to stand here and, like, and wait and just see what yeah. ha- and like wait and we just have to stand here and watch cuz like I, I didn't I didn't want to by the way it was fucking uncomfortable and I hated it two other people were taking videos um like one man like one young man and then like this older like grandma-y woman but in that scenario busy what at what point do you feel like it's okay to then walk away when he get when he gets well, unhandcuffed they- when he gets in the Car yeah. When he- the, well, okay. By the way, eight officers, eight, yeah. all, all of the, all of them were white yeah. and big. I don't know what we don't know. We didn't get, we didn't, we weren't there for what happened before. Right. Like right. when we got there, police cars were still showing up and it was like three office or four officers on him and he was on his knees handcuffed like in on the ground, right? But but mm-hmm. sitting up or on his knees, and uh, and so we we stood, but we were like the first people to stop, and I just was like, we're just gonna stand here and like just stand here across the street, like and just look and like watch the officers and just like we have our phones out and you know whatever. Mm-hmm. And then this like guy came a younger guy came and he started filming it. And I was like, oh good, he's filming it. So 
he looks, and he was like getting all their license plates and stuff. Oh, I asked Mark to take a picture of the cop cars mm-hmm, and the police mm-hmm. officers. So Mark took a mm-hmm. picture of the officers, just like, just a fucking in case. But I just was like, <sighs> so then an ambulance came and he, and the, and the firemen came and then they brought, they took him up. And then he went, he got into the ambulance, they closed the doors and they, the firemen took him away, but he was still cuffed. But I do think he was having like some sort of break, like something had happened. And then the guys at the restaurant, as we, after they were leaving and we were walking away, the guys at the restaurant were talking about it, the like bouncers at the restaurant. Mm -hmm. And they were like, he was gonna, I mean, he was like, gonna it was crazy you know like they were like going on and on right but I just felt like I didn't know if it was the right thing I swear to god I like didn't know if it was the right thing to do but I also felt like I guess we kind of like we have to do I felt like we have to do that now like in terms of yeah, Every, a oh, lot of people sure. were just like just kept walking, like not paying attention. Yeah, like, I mean, it's hard like, to know what which is which thing is the better thing, right? Which is that keep walking or stand there and then have it be the spectacle that it always has been, right? I, Where yeah. black bodies and black men and black women are, you know, the the brutality and the cruelty yes. is a spectacle. Right. I was gonna but, say that people have been staring, stopping, and staring at these things throughout history. So, I I mean, people are going to stop and stare no matter what. So I feel like if your reasoning is good, I just always feel like don't let anyone go through something alone. If you, if you can, if you can, that's right. And I think to bear witness and also to make sure that they weren't, you know, that it didn't have their knee on his neck. I mean, you know what I mean? Like that's. Well, and I felt like, I was there as much as like to like fucking look at the, those cops and be right, like, yeah. just so you like, I didn't, you know, right. I, my heart, I, you know, my heart go, went out for the guy, like whatever he was going through, like, obviously, like, it, you know, but I just wanted those fucking police officers to know that like, they, you know, they're looking all at you. eyes yeah. are on you right now, yeah. dudes. Like, yeah. that's just, yes. and you're going to have to do better. Yeah. Well, we are going to have to get rid of them completely. But then at the end when I was just like, I just kept count. I was like, why, why are there, Mark, why are there uh, eight giant white dudes? This one, one guy cuffed already on the, on his knees on the ground. Why do there need to be, why are there four police cars and eight? But you know why. I know. But it right. just was like, it, yeah. to me, I was just like, this is fucking insane. Like, this is so insane to bear witness to, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It was- I would say that that the one, you know, like, I'm, I'm not going to say silver lining because that would be preposterous, but the the... The one thing that this moment in time, this 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 racial reckoning, the you know the, that you stood there with Mark and were like, how do I make sense of this? Like people are doing that more, and white mm. people are doing that more, and I'm very glad to hear that. And and I'm and then I will promptly point them to Casey to explain <laughs> her analogy, and I will just go take a bath because that's where I'm at. And good, and as well you should. <laughs> I love baths. 
Yes, I do too. Real bet, our real bath bitch. I yeah. <laughs> and do do point them to me because I just feel like at this point, like yes, I as a white lady, I'm scared to fuck up, but it doesn't mean that I'm not gonna try. It doesn't mean I'm not gonna try. And you know, we just we have to keep trying. And so, like to you, busy, you're saying like you weren't sure if you were doing the right thing. You knew why you were there, yeah. and so that that is the right thing. And if somebody thought that, that you were fucking up, then. Okay, Which is but. different, and I think that this is really important, and feel free to, free to use this now, Casey, in your, your workbook. Um, <laughs> but, but the difference is, you know, like between intention and also knowing who you are and where your morality, your sense of, of moral, um, your moral standards, your moral compass, where that is, right? Because I hate it when people are like, well, I'm sure her intentions were great. Yeah, I'm sure they were. That has nothing to do with mm-hmm. anything. What is your moral mm-hmm. compass, actually? Mm-hmm. And so, when you, Casey, when you said, busy, you knew why you were there. You yeah. knew what you were looking at. You knew why. And you're still trying to grapple with it. And that is, um, I'm just going to use grapple throughout this whole. I um, love grapple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, that, you know, that's what it means to have a moral compass is to yeah. try to figure it out. Woo, this, yeah. it's been, so a, it's been deep. It is, but it's also, I think that it's like, listen, we're in a time that is fucking deep. There's yeah. like, it's, we're it dealing with it. We're, it has to be, it has yeah. to be, it has mm-hmm. to be like, we were lucky enough to have Elizabeth Warren on the show, uh, two, two weeks, weeks ago. ago. And she was really inspiring. Cause she was like, the door is open just a crack and we have to like, yep put our shoulder in and like everybody's got to do the thing that is hard, but also we have this opportunity. It's a small opportunity, but we have it. My analogy to her door crack is the window is about this much further open and I'm just jamming shit through there, like just jamming it through as as, so long as it stays open because we don't know when it's going to come back down or if we're going to be able to to send it back to, to put it up a little bit, lift it up a little higher. Right. Um, along that, I mean, also just like shit in the world has been really hard this past week. Mm -hmm. Should we say what we're doing our best at so that we can get to the, get to that part? Yeah. Yeah. Say what we're doing our best at. Yeah. Let's get to the good stuff or the bad stuff. Okay. You do it. You do it. What are you doing your best at? Um, Well, you, you already said you started the podcast by being like, this bitch is not good. (laughs) (laughs) what happened she's not great can i tell you this is how not best i am doing i opened my email this morning and i had an email a response email from my agent that just said in all caps jesus and i was like i didn't remember sending an email to my agent and i was like oh "Oh, no what did i say i had just like in my tiredness from this like job Mm -hmm. that I'm doing Mm -hmm. had written like I guess like I probably meant to like write like my feelings down in an email (laughs) that I didn't send but then I did send it and then and then uh yeah and um it was a very uh it was wowie wow wow that email was wowie wow wow that's what okay okay but so what are you doing your best at 
Yeah. Um, so she's had a week. She's had a week. She's had a week. Yeah. Okay. Um, my oh, okay. I got a I got like a mouth guard to stop grinding my teeth. So that mm-hmm. that's good. And um mm-hmm. I have been I'm getting good at like using it and I'm trying to like uh you know, you can't put it in too soon. Um, cause it's big and bulky. And so I'm trying to like get good about just popping it in right at the last second before I doze off. Um, which, you know, sometimes you make it and sometimes you don't, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I just trying to like hold on to it and then put it in at the last second, which is like, I can tell you from how many times I make it versus how many times I don't make it. It's a really good thing that I never tried to use a diaphragm as birth control because I oh, don't gosh. always make it. <laughs> But I mean, they were the I use worst. A, I use they a diva cup for my period. Yeah, I love it. Well, oh. I mean, that's a little bit it. of a that's a little bit of a different situation. That's an ongoing. But anyway, yeah. So mouth guard, so I don't like grind my teeth, and so that's good. I feel like I've cut down on grinding by, let's say, sixty percent. Mm. So unclear. Doing your best is not what you're trying at, but what you're acing. No, I mean, it can, no, you could try. You could be trying. I, you can fail and not necessarily yeah. doing. Okay, yeah. Because I feel like I what I had had in mind for this is that I'm doing my best at trying to manage my expectations for the what success means great and this is great um and i'm also tomorrow's my birthday and i'm not turning and i'm not turning 35 <laughs> i can tell you that <laughs> um so you know and what success looks like and i'm just really trying my best at living in the gratitude for where i am um and i don't know it's it's I would love to hear, Busy, from you about how you think about success and how you measure it and how you gauge it. And you've done so, we've done a lot of similar things and had a, like, like just in terms, I mean, I'm not an, an actress, obviously, but, you know, I, <laughs> yet, I mean, who Why knows? Not? Good. We don't Happy know. Happy birthday, um, by the way. Yeah. Happy early yeah. birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Happy you. Happy early you. birthday. Yeah. Well, Um, I do think it's like a thing that we, that evolves over time. And I think as you get older, I think the ideas of what success is changes, don't you? I think like when I was younger, I had very specific ideas and very lofty ideas about what success would be, what it would look like and how... I would get how you it. wanted it to look and how you wanted, wanted it, to it. Look, right yes. yeah 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 and then you get and then you get a bit older and you're like oh yeah I, don't know. <laughs> I mean that all seems that seems crazy I guess I guess in terms of you know there are certain things that I think like you get pre- like pressure gets put on you and like your editor for a for a book, you know, they're just like you have to be on the New York Times bestseller list, you know, right. like that kind of thing. Yeah, but you have no exactly. fucking control over that. Also, like launching a book in this time is so weird because you can't even do a book tour, which is like how most people get on the New York Times bestseller list. New York Times bestseller list because 
they sell the books and you know in person yeah. and they're anyway yeah and it's all politics anyway and then like what does it even mean and, and it's also so weird does like, it I think matter the best way the best analogy that i can think of the most recent analogy is like in tv people it, <laughs> in tv when the internet was invented it like TV executives always were like, we need to make a viral video. <laughs> and I was like, uh, that like that's for other people to say <laughs> if it's viral. Yeah. It's not for you to that's say. Interesting. You know what I mean? So it's like that's for other people to say if something's a hit television show, if something's on the bestseller list. That's for other people to say. But all you can do is like your best to write a beautiful book or to make a wonderful television show. If people don't like it, that's because they're idiots. But okay, same person. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> how do you, what do you... What if you don't feel like that? Like, I know I wrote a beautiful book and, and busy, you know, your show, your new show is rad and funny and great. And, but you know, and we can get rave reviews, but then what? Well, I'll use the example of busy tonight, actually, because I think that, you know, you have gotten rave reviews for your book. And to me, that would be success. Like that people got it and then it, Effect, it was affecting people deeply and that it meant something and that it's meaning something to people and that it's a part of a larger cultural conversation that's super important to have right now and that it will be it will sort of exist in perpetuity as that to, you know which mm. is in, you said incredible. in perpetuity <laughs> in perpetuity it will I know I love it I, it's such contract um, speak but but you know, with with Busy Tonight, I think a lot of people would say, oh, that show, I mean, that show was canceled as like, you know, as it was a failure, as in it was a failure. And Casey and I, I mean, it fucking sucked. It sucked that it was canceled. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think that Casey and I were able to almost immediately have a great deal of perspective about it and how actually successful it was yeah. because of the cultural impact that we had because of the yeah. creative uh, accomplishment that we were able to make in such a short period of time. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so it's interesting because I think that maybe people think of that show as a, as a failure or – not a success, certainly, but to me, really, whether or not we ever fucking get credit for it, after my, and this brings us to the current abortion ban and the Center for Reproductive Rights is, you know, we're going to the Supreme Court again. But after the episode in which I talked about my own abortion and talked about the extreme bans that were being passed in uh, the United States all over the country in different cities, but specifically we were talking about Georgia then, in May of 2019, within one month, the public opinion on uh, whether abortion should be safe and legal and accessible for all, like, skyrocketed. It was like, had, got, had sort of dipped and because culturally people just weren't having the conversation, they were afraid to have the conversation. Yeah. I mean, this is like, whatever. I'm fucking bragging about my own, about what something that Casey and I thought very 
intensely about and like how to do it and whatever. But within one month, it went from like, it was in the like high 50s to like now it's over 74, 75%, which it like really went, I mean, it really, there is like a marker from when we did that episode to then the conversations Mm -hmm. that were started and then the thing that happened over the next month to like June of 2019, where it was like all of a sudden at, uh, you know, had the, it was like on the radar. It started a conversation and I think we hit on something really simple. And uh, again, like, a is was it an analogy? I don't know. The point that we were making is that you might not know how you feel about abortion because you might think that you don't know anyone and that you don't have an opinion on it because you don't know anyone that ever has had an abortion or that you never would know anyone that has ever had an abortion. Mm -hmm. But one out of four women has had or will have an abortion. And if you think you don't know anyone who has had one or will have one, you know me. And then that just started a hashtag that all of these women started tweeting. Yeah, you know me. This is something that I too have done. And here's my story. Or like, I don't need to tell you my story, but guess what? You know me. And it just Mm -hmm. started this really big conversation that was well beyond like the viewership of the show. And then way beyond the viewership (laughs) of the show, Casey. (laughs) Well beyond the viewership of the show. And, and, you know, busy got to, to testify and, and, you know, and so that's, you know, that's, that's meaningful. And then we talked about like met gala dresses because as we said, this is what women do, you know, this is, we have these conversations and then we have these conversations and that's, that's our lives. That's what our lives are. So, you know, well, I mean, yes, I, I just, so success who fucking knows, Rebecca? <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I sure do. I sure do. Success is points. It's points on a graph. You know what I mean? It's really, it's not, it's not any kind they of line. They haven't picked up Girls 5 Eva for season two yet, guys. <laughs> what the fuck? They haven't? <laughs> no, they haven't. I don't know what's happening. I mean, we're assuming that they're going to. I mean, I feel like everyone I know figured out how to get Peacock to watch it, but I don't know, but who knows? I, you know, we thought it was successful, but it also was like something that felt really great to Mm -hmm. make and put in the world. And yeah, listen, it's, it's really good. And people are still enjoying the hell out of it. And maybe, you know, who knows what the reasons are. Just well, that's like, I don't, you never know what any, like when you're reliant on, this is why it's so hard. Casey and I had been trying to do our own, make our own content in a different way before the pandemic shut our dreams down. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but you never know how we like like one theory that we were I was talking about was with someone the other day was like, well, maybe with streaming, like, you know, they want to wait until there's a dip in the publicity. Like we're still getting a lot of publicity and people are still talking about the show and they want to wait until there's a dip to announce that we're going to do season two so that then people who haven't watched the show get interested and then they watch the show. So there's another uptick. Like, I don't know why my brain even has been like right. trying to run these 
things that these scenarios that don't even, I mean, we don't know if they exist or not. Because it matters to you. Then that is why I brought it up. It matters, it right? Matters. And so the idea of, yes, I mean, the letters that I have received, the emails that I have received from transracial adoptees, which I, I mean, I just didn't anticipate. I couldn't possibly have anticipated what I have received in terms of you've changed my life. This is the book I needed. I, I didn't know I needed it until it was, I mean, it just really beautiful. I mean, that is, that's success, but. Yes. Okay. I mean, you know, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, okay. Um, okay. Like, that's great. I want it to be a bestseller. Of course. But. Aren't things happening with the book besides yeah. being a book? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Also, yeah. things. Mm. 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 <laughs> is it is Oprah involved? Ugh, I wish. Not How do we no, get? Uh, that's what to me that no. would be success. Like if right. Oprah, See, that's what I'm saying. When I know. Oprah gets when Oprah gets involved, her hands on your fucking book. See, well now, well she's not going to get my hands on me. Um, so it was optioned by MGM and Killer Films, and I'm adapting it for a limited series, um, for TV. That's fucking so, amazing. You know. So then, amazing. well, here's another thing. Like success happens in different ways for everyone, right? So, like, wasn't it that horrible girl wash your face girl who, problematic <laughs> girl wash your face, who wasn't a best, like, it wasn't on the New York Times bestseller list, and then it was? Wasn't that the story from the original? Like, <gasps> oh, that's right. Yes. You guys, I'm almost positive right. that when the first, when the book first came out, it was not on the bestseller list. And then it was like later on the bestseller list and then remained there forever um, until she became so problematic. I don't that, know. That, yeah. That's a good yeah. question. Oh, I think it is. I think she's right. I, actu I, think she's I, right. I actually think yeah. because her book was, I know because my book came out. <laughs> I was like, the fuck is girl wash your face? And why is it number two? And I'm seven. I know who Michelle Obama is. I could have told you to wash wow. your fucking face. Fact, I've never that, not that washed you, my face before the, that bed. That you were on, that you shared the, the list with Michelle. Come on. I now. did. I did. That's that amazing. was really exciting. That That's was also, amazing. though, can I tell you, Rebecca? It was also how I knew I was not going to, I didn't even get nominated, but I was like, there's no fucking way I'm winning a Grammy. I wanted that Grammy for, for the audiobook. audiobook. Oh yeah, dude! Are there Grammys for audiobooks? Yes. Uh, oh, yes. I did not know. That's how I people eat. Got that's how that's people, how people oh. eat. It's the best way to eat. Got if you're and listen, I've got none of them. So I was gonna go. I was like gonna go Grammy. Yeah. Or go home. I have uh -huh. it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, I was like, I was very excited about the possibility that I could because I thought my audiobook was really good, and uh, and. I mean, it was. I was proud of my audiobook, but um, but then I when Michelle, I was like, oh, this is just, this is not even going to happen. She's Wait, gonna win busy. It. Have you ever speaking of Michelle Obama? Have you ever watched her um her show Waffles and Mochi? Like, no, Wait, but my but you know Je yeah. Jenny Connor's brother. That's his show. Yes, you Jeremy. have to watch it. I, want, I really because, want to. Do you know, you have to watch it because um you know that she has like a B sidekick whose name is Busy and she's always exasperated with the B and she's always like Busy. <laughs> so if you ever want to get kind of like gently um chastised by Michelle Obama, watch Waffles and Mochi if you want to know what that feels like. Does she voice one of them? 
She's like, it's she's a like live on the action with puppets. And like Michelle Obama runs a magical grocery store with puppet of employees. Of course and does. like mm-hmm. her sidekick is a, is like a, um, like a, an anal retentive bee who gets on her okay. nerves. Well, that's okay. not me. It's not me. <laughs> but she's always like busy. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we are here to talk to you about some really interesting things. Specifically, we want to talk to you about something called Dipsy. Now, here's the deal. Do you know that like 90% of women use mental framing or scenario conjuring to like get a little turned on, but most of the innovation and investment in pleasure for women is like focused on the body, like rather than the brain, i.e. toys. But here's what Dipsy is. It's really interesting. It is an app for short audio stories designed to turn you on, guys. This is all fascinating. I know, it is. It's the relatable scenarios, immersive soundscapes, and they're created with women in mind. Uh, It, like, every story has characters that feel like real people and immersive scenarios. You feel like you're right there. You can like listen to stories about hooking up with your hometown crush you never made a move on or a coworker or a story that like puts you in bed with somebody who's telling you exactly what they'd like to do to you. What? They release new content every week. Very interested. I remember when I was in my 20s and I like, there was like a book that I liked that was like just a regular book, but it did have like one sexy thing in it. And I was like, I guess I got to read the book again. You know, (laughs) this is so much easier than trying to find that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's right on your phone. It's right on your phone. Also, if you need to wind down, Dipsy also has wellness sessions and sensual bedtime stories and soundscapes to help you relax before you go to bed. So That's for me. Why don't we just try it? Why don't yeah. we try it and we see if we like it? For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash best. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash best. Dipsystories.com slash best. Why don't you go get it? Function of beauty. Function of beauty. Everybody loves the function of beauty. Everybody loves the function of beauty. The jingles are back. Guys, jingles are back. Your perfect hair is beautiful, shiny, full. But how does it smell? Function of Beauty is custom hair. Make sure you don't neglect the most powerful of your body's senses, the smell. Scent is maybe the most underappreciated of the senses. It powers your taste. It creates memories. And yes, It even unleashes desire. Function of Beauty's team of formula scientists know this. They make scent a key ingredient in every bottle, and you get to pick it. I'm so into mango for summer. I love it. Honestly, I like the eucalyptus. I'm not going to lie. 
Oh, that's I think. nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like to just, it's like fresh. Fresh. Yes. You know what function of beauty is. It's the world leader in fully customized hair care. They create a unique formula based on a short but thorough quiz to give your hair everything it needs to look and feel its best. Every product is sulfate and paraben free, which is why we love it in our house. It's vegan. It's cruelty-free. And there are over... 60,000 real five-star customer reviews. That's wild. Function and beauty fans are absolutely wild about the fragrances. And honestly, I'm with them. Tropical mango, sweet peach, crisp pear, lavender, rose, eucalyptus. If fragrance isn't for you, that's fine too. You can get unscented. Um, Turn your beauty routine into an aromatherapy session, a tropical getaway even. So what are you waiting for? Go to functionofbeauty.com slash best to take your quiz and save 20% on your first order. That applies to their full range of customized hair, skin, and body products. That's functionofbeauty.com slash best to let them know that you heard about it here and to get 20% off your order. Functionofbeauty.com slash best. But you didn't say what you were doing your best at. You know what I am doing my best at? I am trying. I am. This is like a thing that I that I constantly say I'm trying to do my best at. But I really am trying right now to be kind to myself about just everything. Like, and um, that's not that's not easy. <laughs> It's not it's easy. It's all of a piece. It's busy. all of a piece. I know. I know. Yeah. I also am feeling a little bit of the, I don't know why, like it really just hit, oh, I do know why, but it hit me again today. I had a friend from LA who came, who visited for a minute. She came here for like one second and we had dinner last night and she slept over and then I said goodbye to her this morning and I've been friends with her since I was 21, I think we met and in LA and like, you know, and she's like a part of my deep friend group, like that friend group that you have from when you're like in your early 20s. Now everybody's got children and are married, whatever. Some people aren't married. Some people don't have children, but like everybody's grown up essentially. You know, we're 40, we're 41. Um, and when she left, I just really felt so sad about living here and not having my home in LA anymore. And it's just really hard. I don't even want my house in LA I am mad that I let those people keep so much of my furniture, though. <laughs> I really am. And if, they're, and if they're listening, I am mad about it, guys. Yeah. I'm, I'm mad at you. Were the people you knew? You know, Rebecca, I don't know what happened. It was like okay. pandemic mixed with just like fucking insanity and like, I don't know. I literally don't know. I, I just, I feel like it, I was in like a fugue state. And I was lot. just like- I was like, just let them have it. Like, just take it all. Like, and they didn't even pay for it. They just like were like, it was just included in the price of that they paid us for the house. And I, I don't know. I just was like, and then they just got 
they just kept asking for more and more stuff. And then I got annoyed. And then I tried to start taking stuff back. But then it was too late. And then it was just like this whole thing. And my realtor was like, are you going to blow this whole thing because of some lights in the kitchen and a table? And I was like, yeah, I think I might. But ultimately, I don't, it wasn't the, it wasn't the move. But I just like, I don't know what happened. I don't know. Also, like moving stuff from LA to New York seemed almost impossible. Yeah. Is that, I mean. Yeah. And by the way, we just got the bill from the movers and it is terrible. It's a terrible amount of money. Until they invent (laughs) a shrink ray. It's a terrible amount of money. It it was. It was like it. No wonder. Like fucking get a U-Haul. Do it yourself. Like it is so expensive. Like so expensive. And I know that it's like not whatever. I'm having. I'm talking about high class issues here, right? Or whatever. I. But I. I just. You know who you are, busy. What? You don't have to disclaim that you're talking about high class oh, issues. I know a terrible, who I am. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Like no, By a the terrible way, amount like, of money is anytime. a terrible amount of money. I, and I'm that's saying right. that forever. That's now. right. So much of your furniture would have been dropped down a million stairs if okay. you had tried to like move it yourself and Fair never, enough. never survived like a DIY move. And uh, yeah. Oh, it's I also, can move it myself. Yeah, I also yeah. know, yes, I also know yeah. who I am. Yeah, like, right, as Rebecca exactly. just said, no, I'm not yeah. fucking moving myself. You should have put it in the yard and burned it. Well, I, oh. you know what I mean? Like, oh. in, in some respects, like, you know how petty I get. <laughs> but, I, you know, like, I'm like, I would have, in some versions of my brain, I'm like, I, w- I would have rather just burned it than, like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. They just got, mm-hmm. they just got... I just felt like they were greedy at the end and not nice to me. And I was like trying to be so nice. And then I felt like annoyed and. Yeah. So, so the, so the lesson here, don't uh-huh. try to be nice. Yeah, I know. I know. Right? It's so- interesting. It's an interesting, like a, a personality trait to be like generous to a point and then like a, a switch flips and then you're That's like. That's what I am. Yeah. 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 You know, I'm that way. Yes. Yeah. I I'm know. super generous to a point And then I'm like. So like sometimes like too generous. Yes. And then like, you're way like, too generous. Yeah. And then when this but when this that fucking flip switch switch flips, when that switch flips, you yeah. are dead to me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going yeah. to like, yeah, that is really funny. I never have thought about that or talked about that in therapy, Casey. What does that well, mean? Also also though, a moral compass. Right. Yeah. I feel like right generosity is is something that you are or you are not. And mm. when you are, it is so pure that when someone tries to take advantage of that, it is a switch. It's like, I'm sorry, what now? You right. really trying to play me like that? Yeah. I am not going out like a punk. Yes, right. Rebecca. Yes. Because That's here's right. the thing. Busy's the kind of person to be like, you know, let me do this for you. And then you say, like, it's like a little morality play, right? Busy will be like, let me help you out with this. And then you say, oh my gosh, thank you. Let me get you back on this. And she knows that you're in a bad spot. And then she says, you know what? Don't worry about it. Most people, most people in the world would be like in their mind, but yes, I do worry about it. Mm -hmm. So like, even if I can't get her back and exactly return whatever it is, let me 
pick her up at the airport. Let me bake cookies for her. Mm -hmm. Let me listen to her cry on the phone, maybe. I don't know. You know, something. Let me do what I can do. Let me do what I can do. But also, I feel like there have been people in your life, Busy, where they... You say, let me help you out with this. And they do the their part of the play where they say, what can I do for you? And you say, don't worry about it. And they say, okay. And, and then is, that's the end of true. it. That's true. Forever. And then Forever. you're like, what the fuck? That's yeah. true. Yeah. And, and with some, like, it, I have done therapy in terms of like my, my family in knowing that like, Anything that I do in any way, shape, or form for anyone in my family, and I'm talking about my family of origin, <laughs> my, my parents, that's what my therapist calls it, family of origin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do that with the knowledge that the other part, the cookies or the whatever, is never going to... like. If that does happen, lovely, but the but I have to do things with for my for family of origin because I just want to do them yeah. and not expect anything ever in return. And if I when I do get stuff in return, I just have to be like, what a fucking surprise. That was wonderful. Like, ah, right. like they showed up and did this great, wow. you know, whatever. And that's just where I am with family. But Casey's right with other people in my life, and there've been Many, many, many people, and even just these fucking people that bought my house. Like, I do, I do expect some kind of like something. Yeah, like it's, it is, there is like a thing that I would like in exchange, and it doesn't have to be the money or the thing or the whatever. I, I think that it's, yeah, you know, Casey, you're really right. You're really right. But I I think that I feel like I identify with that. I don't know if you do, Rebecca. I just feel like, you know, sometimes it'd just be nice to like, it'd just be nice. You know, (laughs) that's very New England, right, Rebecca? It'd just be nice. I I, I would not know. I would not know, girl. Listen, Um, but but what I was thinking of was just in terms of friendship and generosity. I mean, like my mantra, like my whole mantra has always been, if I have it, you have it. Like, that's just yes. what it is. Same. And I never think beyond that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the amount of like, I, I, I have like met people for dinner that I haven't seen in years and they show up wearing like a coat of mine. And I'm like, oh my God, I forgot about that. And they're like, yeah, don't you remember? You just like gave it to me. Like, yeah. Three years Same. ago, out of nowhere, I, I just like oh, said yeah. I liked it a lot, and you just like gave me your coat. I'm like, I do or remember like, that those, now. Those oh jeans are so cute. Like, yeah, you gave them to me. Yeah, like, they're remember yours. when you're That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When yeah. I I used to write for Joan Rivers when she was alive. I don't. Aww. Why did I, Why did I point out when she was alive? Obviously, I didn't write jokes for her when she passed I away. Know. She does seem like she's still around. <laughs> but she does. She does lots. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had to always. I had to remind myself never to compliment anything because she would just like take it off and give it right to you. So like. She just like you could never be like, oh, I love that purse or whatever, because you just like dump it right out and be like, here, it's yours. Here you go. So do you want to talk about the the abortion? Yes. Well, listen, this is a we do need Elizabeth Warren here. This is this is 
here's what's tricky about this, this Mississippi case that the Supreme Court is has agreed to hear, is that we know the Supreme Court that we're dealing with, and uh, that if at, that this case, <laughs> like literally, could effectively end Roe in a lot of ways, and uh, and that would affect more things than just access to to safe and legal abortion. Um, there are so many laws that are stacked on top of Roe, including, you know, including and not limited to who you want to marry. Um, I believe loving, the loving case is also a part of Roe stacked in, inside of it. Yeah. Uh, Listen, I'm not a lawyer. I just sat next to one when I testified at Congress, guys. <laughs> <laughs> she was testifying as well. Um, and she really went through. It's actually super interesting. I wonder I wonder if that whole transcript is available. Um, because she was super uh, – she's an educator as well. But she just like literally broke down all of the laws that are sort of stacked on top of one another and what happens when one um, gets changed is that they all then um, are vulnerable to. But also like the the way in which it is all these laws, it's so Byzantine. It is so Byzantine, Byzantine. I think it's Byzantine. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it is like, it's, it's made that way on purpose. right? Right. Like, Either people don't have access to what those laws are, how they work together, or they, you know, we are in a, we have a system where it makes it seem like they're not important. Right. Well, right. And, you know, I think that for a long time, my own privilege kept me from being involved in, uh, in, in, trying to keep abortion safe and legal because I always was like, well, I'm always going to live in a place where it'll be fine. And I think that that's like, I think a lot of liberal people have felt that way, you know, um, like California is never going to overturn abortion. Uh, New York is never going to overturn abortion. Um, but what's happening is, you know, Mississippi only has one clinic left. Jackson is what it's called. I, uh, I can't remember the full name, but it's Jackson something. Jackson and... Uh, anyway, this is who the case... This is what the case is about. Um, they've already been <laughs> limited in... how You know, with all of these trap laws, uh, how and where and who can even provide abortion care... And, you know, the fact that that the Supreme Court has decided to even take up this case is isn't honestly, it's not great. It's not, it's great. not great news. It's not great news um, because <sighs> their intent it's seems so, clear. So, their intent. This is. Yeah. It's a handmaid's is, tale. It's, just it's a, like I. You know, it is. I mean, more than 20 states 
would prohibit abortion outright if Roe is weakened, if the Supreme Court votes in favor of the state of Mississippi. Um, 11 states currently have trigger bans, which mean that they would instantaneously ban abortion if if the Supreme Court uh, finds Mississippi is in the right or whatever. I, what is the what was how did how do you say it? If they like, it's not like um, a trial, so you don't say. Yeah. I can't remember the the verbiage that you're supposed to use. I mean, I did I did all that training, but you know, yeah. here we are. Here yeah. we are, guys. Here we are. I, yeah. You know, I can't fucking I can't remember anything, but I do know that um, it's not going to be great. You can go to uh, centerforreproductiverights.org and uh, and on their site, they have a really um, you can donate. They need money. Because they're trying to keep um, reproductive rights legal, legal all over the world. Mm-hmm. It's not just here, the mm-hmm. Center for Reproductive Rights, and and we're not just talking. And it's not just about abortion. Like you know, right. this also it, it's about it's about women's health care. It's about um, it's about birth control. Yeah, that's the thing that's like, and it disproportionately affects. Uh, the most vulnerable women in our in our country, and that was the po- that was the point at which I was like, "Oh shit, I'm a fucking asshole." Of course, rich white women are always going to be able to get abortions. They'll fly wherever. They'll fucking get their fucking kids, their 15 year old knocked up 15 year olds abortions if they need to. Even you know, wealthy white people in Mississippi will figure it the fuck out. But the people that won't be able to access it are you know. Children who've been raped by a family member, you know, like those who live in, you know, communities that in poverty, which, by the way, in Mississippi is a lot. I would like to add to this narrative um, that it's not always about tragic circumstances or impoverished black and brown people or or, you know, rape or anything like that. It's about choice. Mm-hmm. It's about autonomy. It's about respect. And, you know, when I think about the abortions, and I've had more than one that I've had, it was a choice that I knew was right for my body and my circumstances, and that I was able to take myself to a place that respected that mm-hmm. and gave me that autonomy. That, I think, is a really important part that gets left out of the narrative. Well, for sure. And, and it's like, you know, listen, part of the, part of the problem though, if, if we're just going to like, you know, semantics, uh, you know, is that the other side has been so successful by making it so reductive and making it about like unwanted babies. And so if we're dealing with people who are just like, They've been able to, like, permeate the culture and make people who, you know, maybe didn't fucking care what anyone wanted to do with their body, you know, 
have really gotten them on board. I mean, the amount of people that like send me baby murdering, you know, messages every time I talk about this where it's like, hey, guys, also um, a friend of mine really wanted a baby and had to and had to have a DNC, you know, an abortion um, because she was going to die and she had two kids already. So you're in that case, you choose what? What do you choose? What do you choose mm-hmm. for her? What is your choice for right. my friend? Right. The fetus okay. or the, you know, or the or this living woman with two children that will be left without a mother. Um, and I think that, yeah, like, I mean, I live the, I live for a time when complexifying the narrative is not a luxury. Right. Yes. Oh, dude. Yeah. Me too. It's just guys. Listen. Listen, let me let me pivot because I feel like we get to say something like what's been happening in the news, right? In popular culture. Um, But look at Issa Rae on the cover of Vanity Fair. And and she's relaunching Project Greenlight, which the poetic justice of that. So great. Right? Project Greenlight originally launched by those boys, those white boys, everybody's favorite, Ben and Matt. Did you you guys watch the original Project Greenlight? I did kind of, but it was kind of dull, I thought. It was super dull. And then, though, they brought my girl Effie Brown in there, and then Mm. there was that that whole thing. Then the fireworks. Where Matt Matt, Matt Damon shut her down. And so uh, that... I just had to say that Issa, yes. that Issa Rae is becoming a media mogul. She's crushing um, it. Crushing and I'm that. so happy for her. And it's such a joy to watch her soar. I had a conversation with her a, mil- a millennial years ago <laughs> <laughs> when she was just coming off of Awkward Black Girl. And she was like, girl, I don't know. Right? Yeah. And that she is here is so brilliant. I love you it. You know what I love so much about her is that you can... Well, there's just something about her, right? Because so she's doing her thing and, you know, and we've seen her come up and she's doing her thing, but then everything she does and everything she touches, every satellite around her, people that are involved with those things are also becoming really successful. Yes. So that to me, yes, that to me says something about the way in which she's doing things. And if I had to guess, I think that it's probably just that she's supporting people and giving them a great deal of autonomy and saying like, Hey, I like the way you do things. Like, this is why I'm working with you. If I had to guess. I don't know. Wait, I've mm-hmm. never quizzed anyone about it, but that that would be my No, guess. she definitely is. I can I can attest. She definitely is. Um, but it also is like, you know, when we were talking earlier about what success means, it's and how to keep doing what you're doing and you know, and and the show you're busy tonight and the cultural impact that that had and you know, it feels like gauging success in a system where it seems like there's always somebody who, who who's going to do something better or yes. more is really really hard. Right. Yeah. That's true. Um but then I think that's where you have to like go to therapy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and have and and like have your own ideas of it. But wait, wait, wait. I had read the um article and 
and I remembered something and I just looked it up. And because I think this is on I, on Issa Rae. Um, she says, this is like, th- this is like everything to me. I pretty much go with my gut. And this is what my gut's been telling me forever. She says about ending the show after five seasons and that it was always her intention. But just that idea of being able to follow your gut and your what what your intentions are telling you is as anyone in the world and especially women you know we are sort of trained from a very young age to ignore our gut and i love that she's like no this is just like i go with my gut and i think that's why to me that's the secret of successful people always. Because it's never wrong. Your gut is never wrong. If you watch Insecure, um, what what is so great about it to me, what's so entertaining is how weird of a character she can be. That's what's so funny is that she left all the weirdness in that character and it's what's so real. I mean, literally, the show is called Insecure. And so... that's it's very human and of course it's really funny and it explores all these issues and the relationships are great I love the weirdness and that to me is the sign of someone listening to their gut and also being really strong when I'm sure a number of people are like are you sure that you want to like do a rap about your pussy or you know like your broken (laughs) pussy or whatever in front of kids and she probably was like you have to be really strong to be like I am 100% percent sure that I want to rap about my broken pussy. It's also unabashedly black. Yes. And um and in terms of like needing to, you know, cuz the cuz the the double-edged sword for for us is that we always, especially creatives, are trying to find ways to break the monolith while also staying in community. Yeah. And she has mastered that, right? Which is that she had this weird character, but she also has this squad of amazing also weird friends, which permeates throughout the show. And it's what I think makes the audience and particularly black audiences, but everybody just be like, wow, you really did that. And I also appreciate too unabashedly black and like not feeling the need to explain anything because it gives like, if, it gives me credit for like either knowing or if I don't know, I'll find out. Like I'm smart enough yeah. to find out. And if I'm a fan of the show and I love the show, which I do, and I want to find out, I will find out, you know? So I, I love being given credit as a viewer for, you know, just like being into it enough that I will find out whatever I need to find out or like figure it out from context clues. So I really, really love, um, you know, just not all kinds of like extra exposition when people trust you to just get it. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's, mm-hmm. that's really great. It, um, she's, she's just delightful and everybody on the show is delightful. I just love her I so much. Love. I love, love, love her and the show. <laughs> and also I really liked that article and I'm very excited for Project Gre- uh, Greenlight to come back and have her helming it because it'll be interesting. And uh, and I imagine that um, <laughs> the stories they pick will be a little bit more interesting as well. <laughs> and the filmmakers <laughs> that they decide to work with. Um, wait, you guys, two things. Ha- have you been watching um, Z-Way's show? Yes. I have I not ha- seen it. 
Okay. Can I just be real? This is what I'm doing, which is what people did with our show, which I hated, but it is just watching what I've been the doing. Clips. I'm just watching the clips. And I need to fucking watch the show, but I'm literally just watching the clips online. And I am really enjoying it, but I'm not watching the show. If the network is paying mm. attention to how many people are watching the clips, then that counts. Uh-huh. The problem okay. is our network wasn't paying attention to who was watching the clips, but do watch the music video about I watched. The, well, okay. I felt like it was like girls five ever. Yeah. Like we, yes. like literally we had, they cut a joke. I had done, I had said a joke in um, the episode where we go to try to get Alf music to write us a hit song. Yeah. It's like episode three with um, Stephen Colbert. And, uh, and we're this it's like when we have our reckoning about like the messaging in our songs and what it used to be. And uh Wiki, who's who's um Renee, Elias Goldsberry, and my character, Summer, are kind of on the side of like, whatever, it's a fucking hit. It doesn't matter. Like, let's just get a hit. And uh Sarah Bareilles and Paula Pell's characters are like on the other side, right? And there was one I did have a few takes where uh like Wiki's like referencing all these things like, you know, Britney, I'm a slave for you. Like this song, you know, dancing queen, dancing queen, only 17. And I did say, I was like, do you know how many songs there are about fucking teenagers? (laughs) And (laughs) it did not make the show. But now, now you guys know that I, that we, we were well aware that are a lot, a lot of songs. A lot of songs about fucking teenagers. Anyway, I the, I'm gonna commit to watching the show because um, it's really I really like all the funny. clips and I, I love. Can that I also video. just say that I love your I love I haven't watched all of them um but I love when you say Girls Five Eva because you just say it so right. <laughs> it's Girls Five Eva. Rebecca Carroll, a joy, a memoirist, a mom who has to take her son to the orthodontist. <laughs> Our guest. I'm a very, very serious orthodontist. Today. She is a black woman who does not play, so Ooh. we cannot be late. Yes. Okay. Surviving right. the White Gaze is the book. Please pick it up. You wanna you wanna read it before the TV series comes out. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, ladies. It's this was so, so fun. So it was so good you. to see you, Rebecca. Okay. Talk to you soon. All right. Okay, bye. 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 Well, now that we've said goodbye to Rebecca and we've talked about a lot of different things. So um, many different things. Ariana Grande got married. I don't care. <laughs> Let her live. You know what I mean? Let yeah. Her live. Happy for I her. I don't care. Get married, girl. Naomi Campbell thing. had a baby. She did? That's cute. I mean, I, I don't that. know if she had the baby or she got the baby or I don't know. Does she it j- matter? She just, she's, she's just a yeah. mom. She's got a, a mom. mom now. Yeah. Uh, that's great. Uh, what else is happening? Aliens. We have aliens, apparently, according to the Navy on 60 Minutes. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Like that tracks, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm trying to clean out my closet. (laughs) Is that that a good thing? Is that on peoplemag.com? No, probably not. But I am. Uh, and... And we had a great chat with our guests this week. And then we had some tech issues. And guys, if you not, know us, not gonna you lie. know, we can't lie to you. But 
Tina Fey and Jeff Richmond, their audio was a bit of a an issue. And it's just, this is a sign of the times. It's hard to do things remotely. But thanks to our very um, trusty editor who worked some sound magic, <laughs> we think that it's it's listenable. And also, because it also was like a really T- interesting... Tina Fey and, and her husband, Jeff. And so it's worth it. It's totally worth it. And Jeff, uh, Jeff, if you didn't know, does, did, uh, the music, he's a, he's a composer and a, and a wonderful musician and did the Mean Girls musical, but also did, um, all the music for Girls 5 Eva, minus the songs that Sarah Bareilles wrote. And, uh, and if you like those earworms, well, he is responsible and he and Tina have been together for a long time. So long. They've, have, they've had pivots together and separately and separately together. And why don't you just take a listen? We're all about the scents today. We love smelling good and knowing that we smell good and walking into rooms that smell good. And I got to be honest, sometimes things don't smell good. When, you know, you work out at home a lot because there was a pandemic yeah. and things just smell kind of like a gym, which is not ideal for your TV room to smell like. Yeah. So we've started using these Azuna Fresh products in our homes. They're amazing odor eliminators do just that. It eliminates the smell at the source. So you smell nothing. Azuna Fresh is an antimicrobial plant-based odor eliminator. It's available in jars and you like place it in the rooms. And also they have a spray. You don't light a candle or you don't have a plug-in that needs an outlet and it's great. You can think of, I'm sure, many places in your home that need Azuna Fresh to continually sort of get rid of, you know, odors and musty smells. Um, We put it in the workout area laundry and room. Uh, laundry room, the bathrooms, obvi, uh, kitchen, like in the thing that we pull out that has the trash in it. Same. That's the best one. Yeah. Pets where, you know, maybe you have some stinky pets, car, yes. your refrigerator, literally you can go, you can put them anywhere. Yes. Uh, each jar lasts for 60 to 90 days and their convenient refill pouches help you save money and plastic. We love that. And the best part is that this Azuna Fresh actually eliminates bacteria, mold, mildew, and fungus from the air with no weird chemicals or toxins. I truly have been looking for something and I'm so grateful for this because I hate spraying the stuff, you know, and I love this little jar. It's just so easy. It's healthier air, healthier immune systems, fewer allergies for you and your family. Listen, guys, I want you to try it out. I love it. Right now, we have a special offer, 20% off your purchase. Go to azunafresh.com today and use promo code BEST for 20% off your new favorite odor eliminator. That's promo code BEST. B-E-S-T at A-Z-U-N-A fresh dot com. Sakara, Sakara, 
We love you, Sakara. We really do love Sakara. I've been eating Sakara for years now, guys. I love it because let's be real. Feeling your best starts with what you put in your body, with what you eat. And Sakara gives you the ability to not just eat healthy, but truly enjoy it because it's delicious. And it has chef created plant rich meals that build a foundation for radiant health. I have been literally. Off and on, I order Sakara. I mean, for years, literally for years, years. Yeah, years. Yeah. I've been I've been ordering Sakara. They're organic and ready to eat meals, and they're made with powerful plant based ingredients. And they're designed, and they really do boost energy and pr- improve your digestion. And it gets your skin looking real good. Um, and it's delivered fresh to your door anywhere in the U.S. Part of the reason why I've loved using Sakara over the years is just like, you know. I mean, guys, I talk about my stomach problems all the time, but occasionally I do need like a reset. I get into a groove of eating too much sugar or whatever, you know, and it's hard when you're trying to do it on your own and like meal prep and then it's like 3 p.m. and you don't know what you're eating. You haven't eaten lunch and you're like, what am I going to do? And then that's when you're like, well, I guess I'll just eat this, you know cinnamon sugar graham cracker. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is why I love Saqqara because when I, when I do it, it's like, you know, even if I forget to eat till 3 PM, I'm like, Oh, I have my Saqqara like salad in the fridge and I will eat that or I'll heat up the, you know, miso soup or whatever. Right. And then I feel great and I haven't, it hasn't derailed what I'm like trying to do. Right. Along with delicious plant-rich meals, Sakara also offers daily wellness essentials like supplements and herbal teas to support your nutrition. I really do like their teas as well. So experience the transformative power of plants with their best-selling metabolism super powder, which is made with organic raw cacao. <laughs> And it works to boost your energy, eliminate bloating, minimize sugar cravings. That's my problem. And reduce fatigue, also sort of an issue for me. And uh, right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash busy or enter code busy at checkout. That's Sakara S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash busy to get 20% off your first order Sakara.com slash busy. Go get some healthy food. Are we ready? Yeah. Are we doing it? Yeah. This is the that's actually the most official I've ever been in starting an interview <laughs> well, you, conversation. You've got the mic. Well, I have the mic now. That's right, yeah. Jeff. That's right. That's what it is. Uh well, guys, Jeff Richman, Tina Fey, thank you so much for joining Casey. And me, Busy Phillips. Um, like we all know each other, obviously, because we work together. We've all worked together. Yes. Yes. Wait, Casey, yeah. are you saying that you met? I mean, did you meet Jeff ever during Busy Tonight? No, you just we just only spoke on the phone, but we co-wrote the Good Night song yes. from Busy Tonight together. So it's so nice to see his face. It's one of my my favorite collaborative <laughs> moments. <laughs> I was coastal. And uh, and and uh, we're busy. I still get and, you guys. I still get requests on DM. I got one today, actually. 
that said, will you sing the goodnight song at some point? Will you, what, how did it go? Will you, will you sing it right now? I don't know if I can remember it. So Jeff just it listened go? to it. I just listened to it. So good. Da, 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 da. And it started out with a tequila line, but I. There's um, no more tequila. Your mark's no been down. Wait, there's your no more tequila. Been downed. Cut, babe, I babe, totally, I totally feel, feel ya. ya. Put on Mr. Nightgown. Someone was a great guest. Mm-hmm. Something else is. This is like a line here. that we would yeah, write we would every time. Write every right, night. right, right. Na, 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 na. Something away your fears. A funny joke. A funny joke. Right. right. And then, good night. Love busy tonight. Is that right? Yeah. There you go. That was it. That's it. And that that funny joke would always be written in a panic. It like in the remaining two minutes before the show because we would always forget to write it. And um, <laughs> it would be hastily put into the teleprompter. Like, Sometimes Busy wouldn't even know what the joke would be before right. she sat in the swing to sing it. That's right. And uh, yeah, that's that's how that was done. Little peek behind the behind the curtain. You would forget to write it. That's cool. That whole operation. Get <laughs> well, to write the see joke. What in the show, you know, and then <laughs> right, yes. right. Oh, um, sure, right. Like the last minute. Right. Well, sometimes also though, guys, we would forget that we needed to come <laughs> to come up with a couplet for the song. Well, that whole operation was so wonderfully tiny and like just felt like 1951 television meets yeah, and- 2050 sensibility. You know, like it was, it was the past yeah. and the future and all that, at once. That cool I mean- kind of local TV kind of. Yes, with, where the weatherman we also for. plays the uh, you know plays the clown on the cartoons show on Saturday. That's what I always <laughs> felt your show is like. <laughs> well, we it, were so lucky. We were really lucky just to have to, to work with Tina, to work with you, Jeff. It was it was really lucky. It was nice. It was nice. It was just nice and weird. It was nice. <clears throat> it's a good year. It was. It was nice. I look back fondly on that time, Jeff. I just found your birthday card that I never gave you, but I fully wrote. Let me read it. <laughs> and it's an Oprah Aww. birthday card, but it, it went with your martini set that I got you, but then Aww. somehow left the card in this desk drawer and I just pulled it out. I should have so. my martini set that you got me, which is once again, uh, busy always proves that she's the one with the most taste in the room. Just always the perfect, perfect gift. Always the perfect thing, the it perfect just, outfit. It's just my love language, guys. It is. It is. I think your love language is giving me jobs. Tina. <laughs> uh, I think my acts of service is. It, it is? That's, not that that's an act of service. <laughs> well, I guess, I mean, honestly, honestly, it's not not at this point. You know what I mean? Not too many. Very helpful to it employ is super people. Helpful. Yeah, I'm not a huge astrology person, but I yes. am a Taurus, and I do sometimes feel like I'm like yoked and pulling things, <laughs> and that's like <laughs> that's my deal. <laughs> I want to be yoked and pulling things. <laughs> Jeff, what's your sign? What are you? Uh, <clears throat> astrology. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a Capricorn. We were. Do you remember? I, I think there was a day on set we were shooting right there in the beginning of January. We're still there. We still got our masks and our shields and we're doing it. And it seemed like everybody was a Capricorn for a minute. Like I think Renee <laughs> and uh, is Meredith a Capricorn possibly? Maybe. It was a whole Sarah Mary Mitchell was. 
I w- had never been around that many Capricorns uh, at one time. And uh, it was Except a when you were in the hospital feeling. when you were born. You were surrounded by them. Oh, that's <laughs> oh, sol- solid good observation. <laughs> I wonder where all those wonder where all those guys are now. Where are all um, those guys? Well, I think it was a good whatever the Capricorn mix is, I would say was real good on set because between Paula who acts like a cancer, like me, like Paula and I never stop crying. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of you Capricorns are just holding it together, very even keeled. That's what I would say. Mm-hmm. You all very temperate. Yeah, diplomatic and uh, diplomatic. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I, I, it's true. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. And then half of them were cancerous, and half of the people were crying, and mm-hmm. but never mad crying. Not a mad. No, we cry. were just we're just always just sad crying. Sad and crying. Paula's <laughs> always got like Casey. An what are you? That's in- <laughs> I'm a Gemini, so I'm like the nicest person in the world. And then, like on any given moment, I'll like turn around, cut you, and your guts will be on the floor. <laughs> Is that that seems right, right, Busy? I would say so, but I think that you don't cut as many people as you should. <laughs> <laughs> but it'd be like every millionth person. I'm like, there's your guts on the floor. How do you like that? Yeah. You guys, I want to ask you, we're so lucky to have you. You know, we talk about pivots on the show. I want to ask you about, uh, if you don't mind, about your relationship and your and then your working relationship together. Because one thing, you're just, you're very much a power couple. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I, I'll take it. <laughs> but you both, but you're so interesting. You're, the way that you have really worked together now in the last several years of your career and your company together has been so expansive and different. And I was wondering, well, I guess let's, I want to start at the beginning. How did you guys meet? We met at the Improv Olympic, right, Jeff? We met at the Improv Olympic in Chicago in uh, 19, should I give a year? It was a long time ago. It was 1994. I would like to say it was the heyday of long form improv comedy in Chicago. And uh, I was the piano player at the Improv Olympic, which meant I was the only, I was the only person that got paid other than China. <laughs> and I must have looked like a cool daddy-o, huh? Right? Because I had I'd drag on <laughs> yeah. my key, keyboards every night. Carrying your keyboards through the $50. ice dollar. It was very smart of you because in my experience, everyone always falls in love with the improv keyboard player. That's true, right? It's, and he it's always, been my experience. He's, yeah. Yeah. he's yeah. swimming in it, guys. The, <laughs> yeah. um, Jeff has this crazy skill that only a handful of people in the world have, which is the ability to score improv. And it is, it is like, it's such an example of like a, per, a person who's like a great listener, a great communicator, really intuitive. Um, you can imagine what else that uh, bodes well for. Um, but like, yeah, the ability to like, lead a scene and like help beginners kind of like find their way or like play something on the piano that makes them bring back an idea that they hadn't thought to bring back. Um, so there's only like five people in the world that can do that. And he's one of them. Oh, that's, that's really nice. That is such a cool and specific talent. And I was just, just as you were talking about it, I was thinking about uh, watching improv, long form improv in Los Angeles back in the day. And, and yeah, like the musical, uh, you know, director, a person doing it. And I, I guess I have never seen one of the six people 
Jeff included, who can, but like, you know, you'd also have to have a really good sense of timing, I imagine. And you have to like know where the jokes live because you're going to bring them, you know, you can bring them back musically. Yeah. Did you, did you perform, did you, were you always a funny person, Jeff? Pivot. Um, I, I thought I was going to be a performer and that was my first pivot is that, uh, uh, I always said, I'm going to be an actor and I was, um, fairly good at it. And then, then uh, suddenly I decided I didn't want to do that anymore because, uh, for whatever reasons. Maybe it was anxieties. I didn't want to be on stage like that anymore. But uh, I, uh, I, you know, turned to music and writing music. Uh, but the thing about uh, about improv is very interesting. You're just kind of listening, and you have to kind of know the rules of improv and be another player up there. You kind of have to. It's not just shooting from the hip. I'm um, texting but, uh, you both a picture of Jeff of uh, as a child actor in like Virginia Beach playing like. Or no, maybe that was community theater, but it's like him playing no, an old man. That was as dinner a theater. That was so funny. Wait, you know what? This oh is amazing. God. You guys, this is an amazing picture. We may have to ask Jeff's permission to put it on our Instagram when we air this because it is amazing. But also, you can really see your daughters yeah, in great. you yeah. in this. Because I always think your kids look so much like Tina. And then you see this picture, and I guess, wow. They really do favor you, you a bit. If you put a beard on any one of our kids, they would look <laughs> like me. And then well, if the beard gets too long, they look like Tina. As a joke. <laughs> See? I don't know where I was But that's going. the same with me. That's the same with us. Like, if our children with a beard look exactly like Mark. But then sometimes they really shapeshift and they look exactly like me. Oh, my God, Jeff. Look at you. So this is wow. cute really and amazing. funny. Is, Holy moly. Um, so you guys met. Tina played it cool. I was trying to be cool about it. I remember the first thing I said to you, because at the time, Jeff had like very short cropped hair. And I was like, do people ever tell you you look like Anthony Hopkins? And he was like, yes. Because he did. He kind of looked, <laughs> it's like a young Anthony Hopkins. Um, yeah, and the I, we didn't really just go on a date. I think the way that you opened that door was you were like, because Jeff's day job was working at a children's theater company called Child's Play, where they would tour and they would, like, write. They, it was a great thing, actually, where they go to schools, teach kids about story, then the kids write stories, and they take the stories away, and they come back with a produced play of the kid's story. It was, like, this awesome thing. I guess oh. it's still going on. Anyway, great. he was like, I'm writing these children's plays, and I, I'm looking for someone to, like, help me out. And it's like, of course, the, the way to my, my love language being work and acts of service. Like that was- <laughs> I, I don't know if I ever told you this story, Tina, but I'm going to spill it now. Oh, no. <clears throat> on Busy's show. Oh, no. <laughs> Maybe I did tell you. But that was, in, that was like in 1994 when you could actually, you could call in for like um, uh, hotlines for like, uh, what do you call them? Not, uh, like psychic you know hotline. About. Yeah, mind read. What do you- <laughs> Psychic. Oh, like a psychic, psychic hotline? Thank God, yes, yeah. Yes, I do know this. And this, uh, and this person I was talking to, and I was kind because of, I was at a kind of a crossing point in my life then, too. Pivot. And, uh, <laughs> and the, they said, you were, gonna cut, you were going to find a T. The letter T keeps coming up. And, uh, little, and there you are. I, think that, I th- really think that was you, and I think that psychic deserved the, <laughs> the $4.99. That you ended up a minute I paid for her. <laughs> Miss Cleo? Was it Miss Cleo? It was it was a Miss Cleo knockoff. Wow. <laughs> was it like a three one two number? Was it just a, a, another dwelling in Chicago? We'll never know. We'll never know. But here we are. 
here we are. Now. So so you guys like obviously fell in love and then did SNL happen together? No. So, so we started going out and then, and it was so funny because again, all the Chicago improv world ethics, like it, there's, there's nothing more high stakes in the world than Chicago improv when you're in it. And I remember at first I was like, I can't really, I can't keep this a secret from my team. Like I can't let the rest of inside <laughs> Vladimir find out that we're dating. And then like that cat got out of the bag and then Jeff got hired at Second City to play piano in the one theater there. And I was working my way up through the touring company. And um, uh, I remember by the time I was on the main stage, it got, I had been there for a little while. I had tried, I, you know, I had been like scouted. Our show had been scouted by SNL. There was no interest in me as a performer. And then Jeff got picked. He was going to direct the next show in the main stage. And I was like, well, obviously this is a conflict of interest because again, such Chicago ethics. So I was like, I better leave the company. It'll be just like, I can't, <laughs> I better, like, it won't be fair to, to people. You'll be picking my ideas. So mm-hmm. I, that was what prompted me to go ahead and push and try to get a job, a writing job from Adam McKay. And so I spent like that summer working on my packet of sketches and sent them to Adam. And Adam, who, you know, knew me a little bit from Chicago, was like, great, flew me out. I, I ended up getting the job. So then I left Chicago. I was flying back and forth. Wait, I love that you're like my this guy that I'm in. Lo- I assume you're like in love with him at this yeah, point. You guys sure. are dating. You've been together a while, and you're like this guy that I'm in love with. He he's going to direct main stage. I can't be in that show, so I obviously get a job in New York. Yeah, and just leave. <laughs> I gotta. Leave. I gotta go. Yeah, I gotta go. <laughs> On a big TV show. On a big TV show. That's what. <laughs> I mean, yeah. If I had not gotten a job, what what would I have done? I don't know. Probably stayed. And then, so then like a bunch of time went by and then, so yeah. And then there was like Cheryl Hardwick retired as the musical director, but then. At SNL. At SNL. But then somebody else, and you had moved there by then, but I think somebody else had the job before you, which by the way, when a big job comes open like that, always better to be the second one to come into that job. Be number two. That's our, don't be number one when you're trying to fill big shoes. Yeah, which worked out. But I will remember this. So you were in you were in New York. I was still in Chicago, kind of going back and forth, and we were long distancing, and that's why we didn't decide to solidify our our, our marriage yeah. of sorts until we were in the same city for an extended amount of time. But I remember when I was in this is kind of a pivot too. When I was <laughs> I finally came to New York and wasn't working in Chicago anymore, I would still get. I wanted to be in show business, so I would still get jobs at Conan's show at Conan O'Brien because if you knew somebody there like we knew a lot of writers and whatnot you could get those weird little uh, comedy bits you'd come and show up and be I like I'd show up you know with a diaper on and get like with a an arrow with and Jack McQuarrie like, would Cupid. pull out a little you know gun that went bang I don't know you'd do these ridiculous <laughs> bits like a for bar- scale quartet, right? and I think it was Robert Carlock that said that my life was like a, a O. Henry novel <laughs> Because I wanted to have my own money, but I had to just had to disgrace myself to in the same money. business to do it. That's hilarious. That I was getting checks from entertainment partners. Yeah. <laughs> and very inside, very inside. I don't know. That's and that's how we were in New York. Also, the, when you finally like really left Chicago was you had just opened. We got married in like June of 2001 and you went back and you were directing another show. The show was a couple days away from opening when September 11th happened and you were like, I got to go be with my wife. And he got a rental car and drove, like let them the show open without him and just kind of came and 
sat on the Upper West Side. It's much like the Girls Five Ever story because I <laughs> on that show I was directing was supposed to open September twelfth, two thousand one. Not oh a not gosh. a great time to open a comedy show. I'm gonna say not that not that year. Not, no. No, 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 not, not in that moment. No. Um. So you came to New York. The job opened up at SNL, and then you guys get to work together again. But Tina did not have to recuse herself. No, <laughs> yeah. there was not no anymore. conflict not of that interest. Time. Not that because time. it wasn't Chicago. It wasn't Chicago. The New York were, rules now, yeah, baby. New York rules. No ethics, New York, and and we didn't. It wasn't uh, like our paths didn't cross in any way that would have been a problem, you know? Right. And so Jeff, like at SNL, was that when you started, like what kind of musical, like composing would you do for the show? Like if, if they were doing like, um, you know, that thing that I loved, what was that thing that I loved where it was like the techno songs? Deep house dish. Deep, Deep house, house dish. dish. Right. Like, would you write those yeah. songs with the writers or would yeah. you write them how would it work no, you you would write them with the writers because the uh you know when you were the guy that was one of the musical directors or as i was creator of special material special music they would just bring you you would be there on tuesday nights with everybody else and they would bring you these scripts and they'd tell me hey, come in i have a, i need a song it's supposed to sound something like this here's the words and you'd have to sit here and kind of like re-engineer these words that wouldn't scan into songs and make them fit. And you'd have like about 20 or 40 or 100 of these before the read-through, which happened on Wednesday. So you'd be there all night, as all the writers were. And then you would have to teach the host before read-through started the next day, which was usually about 1.30 or 2 in the afternoon. And they would bring, they would bring in whoever, what, Tom Hanks or whatever, you know. Catherine no Seated Jones, no big deal. And they would have to stand there and pretend that they're learning a song that they have to sing in front of Lauren in the whole room within the next thirty minutes. And so, you, and then you'd have to play the read through all the music. But you were writing, basically, you were writing all the jingles and the songs and the little musical numbers and uh, music for the monologues, which they used to do. A, they used to do a lot. They used so many musical numbers in the monologues. Oh yeah, my god. Your favorite monologue song was the one the King Kong one you wrote with Jack Black. That was cuz Jack oh, Black is so good at singing. Yeah. That was a great that was a great show that that night. That was a I just remember that being a particularly because first of all Jack Black is the most game guy with talent that you can can ever imagine. He's so so much fun. Jeff, and, uh, I was living a weird parallel life down the hall at the Rosie O'Donnell show, which oh! was very song parody heavy. So That's I was right. in the morning writing song parodies, teaching Martin Short or Billy Baldwin whatever song he was going to sing with Rosie. And our executive producer would always be like, why are you hugging Billy Baldwin in the hallway? And I'd be like, because he was nervous to sing a song and we got through it. But I was, I remember I snuck into the rehearsal to see Jack Black rehearsing his song because I loved him so much. Oh, wow. That's, that is so weird in the small world. We lived up, we worked on the same floor, lived. Sure. Why not? And Casey, was that that with Seth Rudetsky? Yeah. Seth Rudetsky was there, but I went with Judy Gold. She snuck me in to see because she was friends with Jack Black. So she brought me down to see Jack Black rehearse because I loved him so much. Yeah. That's really funny, too. I just talking about those monologues. It would be Lauren's thing. Well, Tina can jump in here and you you worked there, too. But they were (laughs) 
you never knew what was going to happen with the monologue until like Friday night, and you'd suddenly you'd be writing a song that would be the next, have to come up the next day, and you'd have to get the band and chart a whole thing, and you were going to rehearse it at eleven o'clock in the morning on Saturday so it could air twelve hours later. It was it was crazy. Do you feel like that job, that experience, prepared you for Mean Girls, or do you feel like Mean Girls was always in you? You always wanted to write a musical. I wanted to. I want to ask about that because after, because you guys, we can we can fast forward to you guys, and then you left SNL, and then you started a production company together, and you had children. <laughs> right, 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 right. And well, yeah, right? I say Jeff wrote. He'd written musicals before. He had written musicals in Chicago uh, from college on in. At Kent State, he had written, he had written in that form before. Like what kind of musicals? Well, um, the, I <laughs> such a pause. I wrote a, I've re- I wrote a bunch of musicals. We had this musical version of Hamlet in Chicago that I wrote with my old writing partner. That was like, with Hamlet had been written by these two. Um, uh, like Tin Pan Alley guys on Broadway in the 1940s. I Same love joke that. that they're that their show is supposed to open December 12th. <laughs> 1941. Uh, we we all just keep doing the same joke over and over, but it, and they, and that so show in, ran forever in Chicago, and then came ran forever and ran at the Ars yeah. Nova here for a while, and it starred Jeff and our friend Michael Thomas and Alexandra Billings, who now people Alex, know from Alexandra um, Billings, who's now who's now Alexandra Billings, who's now famous, who was Alexandra Billings in uh, 1991 when we first worked with her. And you had wow. a, you had a show called Lobo Gogo that was had a show that ran successfully in Chicago called Lobo Gogo, which was uh, kind of dealt with the um, what the lycanthropy in the Eisenhower period of our country. So Werewolf, werewolves in the werewolf 1950s, rock and roll. It was busy. We should bring it back. You would be so good <laughs> in any musical. I'm seriously thinking that we should do this right now. Okay. <laughs> I'm into I'm, it. I'm buying a ticket I already. Think busy, you should be doing like an Attack of the 50-Foot Woman musical for Busy. I feel like that yes. look would be amazing on her. 100%. hundred percent. She's gone. She's gone. And now Tina's gone, guys. She I know this. You can't see, but she just she just flew away. She just kind of <laughs> ran out of the room. Wait, I love... Okay, so musicals were always your... You loved it. It's so funny. Pivot. Yeah, I always assumed that I would be really... You know, your acting shows, whatever. I, I don't know if we're talking about me so much because she walked away. She yeah, she walked left. Away. She well, because you. you're Her, interesting. Well, it, it is does. interesting. And also, and also, Jeff, I do want to say, as someone who is the more public-facing of the two people uh-huh. who work in the same business, it right. is rare that the one who's not the more public-facing one gets asked a ton of questions. It's very true. So I've been, as you can, t- I'm, I'm ready. You are ready. And I'm sensitive to it. And I'm Thank sensitive you very to much. it, clearly. Because you've had to live but, with so, it as but well. But I do also think it's really interesting because I know, like, look, this past week has been so fun with Girls 5 Eva coming out and people having the reaction that they've had to it. And the thing that obviously is such a huge, huge, huge part of it is our music and the music that you put together for both the flashbacks and like the boy songs and and New York Lonely Boy, which I think is, uh, I told you, I think it's a real banger. I think genius. it's a hit. Yeah, people like that one. It's funny. I, I, I was, was going to say that all that, everything we did for Girls 5 Eva is just, was all just Second City was all, that was the training ground for that. 
Second, C- or Second City and, S- and Saturday Night Live and all those places where you'd have to like uh, write something quickly and be able to produce something quickly that sounded like something. Oh. So that was my, I feel like Girls Five Ever, its lineage is all television. It's all that world. It's all creative music for this medium. And I think Broadway is such a different such a different thing. Somebody asked me, and I think asked most of it, you know, what is the difference between writing for this? And there's just so much more time to th- overthink and think about things on Broadway <laughs> that you have none of that time on when you're writing for TV whatsoever, you know. And I don't know that it's, I don't know that it gives you better results. I think sometimes, <laughs> I think like, oh. Yeah. You don't? I really don't. I think like you can overthink something to can craft, you could craft something to death until it lost all its, until it lost anything that made it shiny. Yeah. I mean, I don't, th- I mean, I, we, you know, we're huge Mean Girls fans in my home. Yeah, I know. You guys, Busy, you were the first, I think the first celebrity who. Who saw it? No, I'm I think I. Well, Is that true? I went to the dress rehearsal. I went to the last dress. I was in town for that. So, Mean Girls, and you're doing Kimmy Schmidt. You did the music for Kimmy too, which is like great music in Kimmy. There's a lot of great music in Kimmy 30 too. Rock. Thirty Rock. Thirty Rock. Jeff scored oh, oh, yeah. scored Thirty Rock. There's actually a, a Thirty Rock album of the score that the late great score producer Hal Wilner um, produced because he Aww. wanted to do that. With Jeff, and that had some good, small, like, there were a lot of, you know, Jane Krakowski sang a lot of very short, funny songs on 30 Rock. Oh, that's right. I guess I, like, kind of forgot about that. Yeah, Tennis Night in America, the Mystic Pizza musical, which is now really happening. What is? A joke on 30 Rock, and now there really is a Mystic Pizza musical. Mystic Pizza musical. We had... We had just made a joke about it, and she had to sing a song from the Mystic uh, uh, Jenna Maroney did, and then we found out last year. Oh, oh, they're doing it. Now. <laughs> well, it was uh, wait, because didn't you make a lot of jokes on Thirty Rock that were that are now real? Yeah, Tina, jump in. There's some good ones. We did. What are there any that are can't we, we can't talk about that feels? Yeah, usually it's not. It's not if it ha- if it came true, it's, it wasn't great news. I know there are, but there are a ton of them. There's so it's like the thing about the way that you work, Tina, and I feel like Jeff. It holds true with the music that you do too. Is that it is like there's a joke on a joke on a joke like that just keeps building and building and building. Where even when I'm watching a show that I am in. I'm like, oh, my God, I never, like, I didn't get that until just now. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and I wonder if you if you guys feel like your comedic sensibilities have informed one another. Uh, yeah, uh, I think it definitely, with, between me and Jeff, and then also between me and Jeff and Robert, um, it has all influenced each other. You know, I, I, my tendency you know, at its worst is to, is to be like a little bit pokey on, or perhaps one might say strident on mm. issues or lie. topics or think issues, issues or topics, and then trying to coat that in jokes. But I think like, you know, Robert brings that absurdity, which then once that's happened, like I remember, um, I just remember a vivid moment in the 30 Rock writer's room where just this weird joke with Chris Parnell, it's like end of season one, Alec has had a heart attack and Liz finds out that she was actually in his phone as his emergency contact. So she shows up at the hospital and his mother is there and, and Emily Mortimer's his fiance, who he doesn't really like. And, um, and then Chris Parnell shows up. He's Dr. 
Spichemin. This is also absurd. And But he had some joke where it was like, he shows up and he's covered in blood. And we're all like, oh no. And he's like, oh, don't worry. No, I was I was at a Halloween costume party. And in the room, Robert's like, don't worry. I was at a Halloween costume party. And then I said, like, in the room. So like, and the hostess's dog attacked me. And then he said, <laughs> so I had to stab it. Like, it was just like a weird, like, <laughs> that's like the fi- final joke. And it was just like, it was just that, you know bringing out the worst in each other. And I think Jeff yeah. is, you know, absolutely a part of that development of that sensibility. And now it's so much, now it's just trying to, my, I feel like my job is just always trying to keep a lid on it. I'm always saying like, guys, if you have a joke here and a joke here, I'm holding up my fingers one inch apart. You don't need to put a joke here. Like it, because beca- it just becomes like, so I'm, I feel like my job is become joke removal. Joke police. Joke removal. Joke removal. <laughs> joke management specialist. Joke management. That's it. That's it, Casey. Joke management. <laughs> Very true. Very true. You're good yeah, at it, I get it, that. Too. I get that. And I think that, Tina, I admire that because I feel like that has become my role, too, as, like, I've matured. And it's a thankless role, I feel like. It is a, it's, it is a, it's like a fun killer <laughs> role. But I think Because there's off. never any proof that you were correct. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yes. The, the only proof is if everybody goes against you and does it anyway, and it turns out bad, you can say, I told you guys. And that's not a fun proof. But then right. you convince them to do it, you know. But I do think, like, with Girls 5 Ever, because Meredith has a real, she is a joke machine. And there were definitely times yes. where I was like, let it breathe. Or, like, don't don't bend it. You know, bend it, don't break it. Like, And I, I hope that she feels good about the times that I sat on that, because I do think it just with episodic, it just gives you a minute to care about people. It lets you retain some boundaries on the universe. Not many. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, that's one thing I've just consistently heard in the last week from people who've watched and loved the show is that they feel like that it is so funny. The music is so fucking great. And then also that it has so much heart and it like, is you really care about the characters and you can't believe like I had a friend like a good friend who was like I couldn't believe that I was like misty about yeah. the whole thing at the <laughs> yeah. like I was so rooting for them and I didn't even know it um cynical tv asshole friend you know what I mean I think that's twofold I think that's the actors being warm and caring about each other and taking their stakes seriously. And then I think it's the score. Like, I think those two things can really combine to come get you, you know, like when the actors are playing everything uh, real. Like when you when you discover it, it, Andrew's crab attack and you play it so real, <laughs> and then that moment is is heavy. So Busy, real. That, I was scoring that scene. I, didn't, I wasn't going to because it was so good. I'm not even, I, 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 I got to get, you're such a good actor, and and it's it so comes nice. through. No, I'm serious. I I, I I mean, of course, I'm serious. I wouldn't I wouldn't lie about it. But that particular <laughs> scene, I have watched it over and over, and I was saying, this is heartbreaking. This is nobody is so has seen real. it more times than Jeff. Nobody has seen any scene in this more times than me. That's true, because when you score it, you're just okay. But I just love. I loved putting the, just enough music in that scene. To wrench a heart just a little bit more. I, I, I uh, oh, you know, that's what I would say about that. 
I said, oh, what were we talking about, though? I don't know, but that's great. I love, I love it. Well, just Wait. talking about that—that—that's what like pushed everyone's emotional buttons. And I've been seeing, you know, I love social media. I know Tina, you're not on social media so much, but I just keep seeing over and over people are like, these songs are real earworms. Like I can't stop singing them. Everyone I know is like, I can't stop singing "Girls Five Eva." By the way, this so, would be a good time for me if I could busy just to say I had a great team uh, on this. And I knew when we went in in the fall with this, I normally don't have a, addition, a lot of additional people, but for this, I didn't know exactly what we were going to do. And I didn't know exactly how Meredith was going to write it. Was this going to be a, a monkeys? <laughs> was, was there going to be a full song? Was the episode going to go and then arc to a song that was at the end of every episode? I had no idea. And I don't think she knew yet either. So so uh, Hunan, uh, Hanan Rubenstein, who was our uh, additional arranger and mixer, so great, puts great sounds within, you know, the original arrangements. He can fluff those out. And Jack, Jack Grebau, uh, my assistant, there, he was great. Giancarlo Volcano. Is that the most musical name you could ever? He's got yeah. all of the coolest He's names. A comp- yeah. And, uh, and Mary Mitchell Campbell came in to help us sing. Mary Mitchell uh, was our, like, essentially, like, our vocal coach like helps us learn our parts and by us i mean me (laughs) everybody needed it (laughs) and we should say jeff we should say there's an album in case you didn't know if you're if you've been loving the songs you can also like download it and uh you know listen to it while you get your steps in yeah there's four versions of songs it's great at what point because we did there are so many songs in the uh, show that are that are just the little snippets, and then at some point, Jeff was like, "Was it your idea, Jeff? Was it yours, Tina? Like, let's make some of these full length songs. Let's record them and put them at the end, like credit sequence." Yeah, whose idea was that? Ultimately, <laughs> I, I believe that I was pushing from day one that we should be trying to get more full length songs because. If you if you had a show with you guys in it and there was original songs, there would be people that would want to have that album or have a songs. collection. They'd want those songs, and then people kind of get mad when you don't have them. So I was pushing that along, but I do. Uh, there was at some point, I don't know, uh, three or four episodes in shooting, maybe when we started to actually edit, that we went, uh, oh, there's a lot of credits on this first act. Can we do anything? And we decided that we would make a longer credit sequence for end credits. If and the, the Peacock would let us, if we could put original material over it, so people would watch. So that was the that was the uh, the thing that actually made us have to do the thing that we wanted to do from the beginning. And was that was, that I will say, that that month in our household when Jeff was like. Where he worked, you know, seven days a week for like a month getting those songs. That was done. real I recently. Was like, yeah, I'm, we're gonna kids are gonna make frozen pizza. You get like you're you know, just it was like <laughs> well, busy, you know, because you would come into ADR and then yeah. suddenly you'd have to learn another song in the last minute. And this is ADR at the end. We're way done shooting. Yeah. you know, it's in the can. Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. I mean, I think, but it was it was like as soon as. It started happening. I was like, yeah, obviously, this is what has to happen. Like, these songs are so good. What's your favorite one, Jeff? Me? Oh, mm-hmm. I don't know. There's so many There's so many ringers in there. I love them all. Um, Splinky, I have to say, makes me feel great every time I hear it. You guys sound it. particularly great on it. 
I think uh, you sound really great. I mean, you sound great on everything. <laughs> I like I like about like your four stars. New York Lonely Boy though has a a place in my heart that I I, I really really I really enjoy that one. I dream love girl that dream song girlfriends. So Come on, you guys sound great. Dream so girlfriends, great. I think, is still my favorite. I do love dream girlfriends. I love dream girlfriends too. It's really yeah. funny. It's super, really funny. Meredith is, ter- is a funny lyricist, Meredith is, it turns out. She's good lyricist. She's really funny. Go ahead, Tina. You <laughs> it turns out. Well, just because you don't know. You know, you don't know going in. People can translate well, that into lyrics. So let me ask you guys this, because you run, you run, you with Robert Carlock, your part, you know, your your partner, you guys all run your production company together. And I'm sure people bring you stuff all the time, writers from the staffs of your shows. I'm sure that, Tina, don't make that face. Like, like I mean. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> But but how do you decide like who like what ideas who you want to work with and what feels to you like it's something you can get behind? Um, yeah, I, I usually think uh, one is this a show I would want to watch, uh-huh. um, which for sure Girls Five Eva is. Is does it feel does this idea this pitch does it feel fertile? Does it feel juicy? Like oh, I can see this many episodes of this. Um, you know, does it feel necessary? You know, is there anything resonating through it that makes it feel valuable to people either to see themselves represented or to, you know, in this case, yeah, like telling a story of women in their 40s and 50s finding their voice um, feels like it might be meaningful to people to hear. Um, and and then with the people, I think, I think like, are they good people? which Meredith yeah. 150% is, and do they have, can they do it? You know, you, and right. I'd worked with Meredith can for a long time it? and I knew that she could do it. Um, yes. Because somebody can be a straight up genius and not be able to run a show. You have to, there's so much to running a show. Yeah. Sometimes being a genius would actually be in the way, but in Meredith's case, she's lucky she can do it. No, she's per- she was perfectly. She's also. I also do think that that. I, and this is not. I mean, you don't have to be a mother to do anything. But I do think that if you are a mother, you're sort of already prepared to be a showrunner because you're you're used to people constantly tugging on every part of your body, asking you things and wanting things, and you have to like make split second decisions. And in the case of motherhood, like it's life or death. And on sets, people think it's life or death, but it's really just about TV. <laughs> That's so true. You know what I mean? When you're a parent, you're living with other people in your head of like, well, when are they going to be hungry? And what are they going to eat on? And it is like that. That's right. exactly right. That's exactly right. And you have to be sort of like, preemptive in your in the way that you move through the creative process I think yes showrunners yeah um and Jeff do you are you mostly just like I don't like that idea because I can't write original music for it is that how you well is there a song does it have a is there a theme song is there a cool poster (laughs) Jeff likes he likes to work backwards from the poster do you really sometimes always I mean that's not a bad idea (laughs) <laughs> well, you guys, honestly, with Blades of Glory, that was like truly like all I, that was like the start of the idea, basically. Was I was like, it's like, a you know, you see, it's like Will Ferrell and, and Ben Stiller like is on the billboard together. Yeah. Like. I'm holding this yeah, up. I'm I mean, sorry. Sometimes. Go ahead. Finish yeah. your thought. But I had something funny to say. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. That I thought was going to be, that could have been interesting, but busy. Yours was so much more interesting. No, wait, what was yours? What was yours? What? I just realized I was looking at this cup. 
that was it's from a little like coffee shop in New Hope, Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. And we think somebody built a house in New York, Pennsylvania under our name. It keeps popping up that we went to we went to New Hope one time. And Which is a charming little, looked at houses little town. and didn't end up buying a house. And uh, after that one time, I've had like eight different people, like guys on the SNL crew, random people being like, hey, I heard you're building a house in New Hope. And I was like, no, no, I'm not. Like so many people being like, I heard you're building a house. And I was like, did someone take a mortgage out in our name? <laughs> in, is there some other <laughs> lady with glasses? Who's, like, it's really weird. In my name? Then there was a newspaper article. And I think it came around the same time when everybody was leaving the city that cited that. Said that we were building a house in New Hope. We are not. Okay, well, guess what? There was like a realtor in upstate New York that like sold a story about me having a house up there. That's, I think they do that because they're trying to generate their own real estate business. Yeah, maybe. So it might just be like, you know, like a realtor is taking people out and they're like, you know who we were showing this property to is thinking about building a house here is Tina Fey. Like, you know who that, that is. Who would, you know? shit. who would be like, who would care? Who cares? I we, guess people, people I'm, do. I lived in Westport, Connecticut, which is, you know, a suburb of New York City. And that would often happen like if, say, um, who's the guy from 90210, the blonde curly haired? Steve Sanders? Steve Sanders. Yeah. Like one time I saw- but that's a, not his real name. Yeah, Ian Ziering. Ian Ziering. Like one time we saw him in the diner in Westport, Connecticut. And then there was like a big rumor around town that Ian Ziering like moved to Westport, <laughs> Connecticut. And I was like, what a boring day in Westport, Connecticut. But he was just like in the diner having pancakes, you know? So that maybe that's what happened to you guys. I hope nobody <laughs> built a house in your name. Um... I do. I hope they did. <laughs> well, you should move into it. You should show up with your bags and move into it. So are there more musicals in your future? I want to hear your answer because we've never talked about this. So this would be a good time. I'd like to hear your answer first. I mean, I, I, I would love to do it again. Yeah. I would want to start something original, I think. I, uh, mm-hmm. I would do it again and go in so much smarter this time about knowing who to listen to and when to listen to people and uh, when to really just trust your gut and when to really push what you... Tina made that glass. Oh, yeah. See this glass, you guys? I mean, the podcast... She made that... She blew that glass. Oh, you did the glass blowing. Yeah, we did glass blowing. Our nephew in Ohio is a talented glass blower. Anyway, this is boring for a podcast, but I'm drinking from a beautiful... No, it's so cool. No, it's it's very cool. It's very cool. Wait, hold it up. I'll take a picture and I'll put put it on the Instagram. Okay, ready? Tina did a glass blowing with her her nephew. She went to visit her nephew and did a glass blowing class with him and she made a beautiful glass and she's drinking out of it right now. I'm just going to narrate it because it's a podcast. Guys, I have one more pivot, though, that we should talk about, which is letting your nine-year-old Penelope play my daughter on Girls 5 Eva. Talk about a pivot. That's a real pivot. did you ever think? I mean, did I ever think that maybe she would be an actress someday? 100%. But did I ever think that we would let one of our children do... We did... Penelope did, like, a one-line thing on Kimmy Schmidt once when she was really small, like, too small to even remember. I, and I think, you know, with Alice, because I think all kids go through a phase where they think that's what they want to do. I remember Alice and I, we went to see Pippin on Broadway, and she was like, I want to do that. And I was like, that's fine. If you want to audition for theater, that's fine, because that you have to really work and have skills, whereas the kid actor thing can just be, like, you are cute, and then, then you just... 
your life is ruined. But so we always were very like strict about it with Alice. She was a photograph in one episode. She played young Liz Lemon in a couple photographs on 30 Rock. That was it. Um, but then if the pandemic happened, everything was the pits, everything. you know, distance learning was the pits. And this part came up and I thought, you know, we're going to have to let Penelope audition for it because if she hears that there was a nine-year-old and she didn't get to audition for it, she'll rage. And so, because she, she gets that from me. Um, that <laughs> and, and so classic Tina. And so we let her put herself on tape and then we were like, oh, it was pretty good. And her line, it was, it was good. If the audition was, first of all, I want to say this. I got to see the audition. Yeah. First of all, the audition was amazing. Secondly, Penelope did her own makeup yeah. for the audition because she was playing an influencer, like a makeup <laughs> influencer. Obviously you guys, if you've watched girls, five, you know that. And it was, her makeup was so Amazingly crazy, like so nine year old, cra- like crazy. I said to Busy, I think, you know, if I saw, if I was given this audition tape cold and it wasn't my kid, I would be like, who's this crazy little bitch? <laughs> <laughs> this makeup was bonkers, like just crazy eyeliner. <laughs> she looked insane. And insane and um, adorable. And, but then, so we said, okay, well, you know, great job. You did a good job. Obviously we're going to, you know, we're going to give it to a kid who's more experienced. And there was a lovely young woman who had done also done a very good job. Um, And we hired her. And then because of pandemic insanity, she had traveled to Michigan and the quarantine rules changed and she couldn't get back. And so we were like, well, all right, here you go. Eve there you go. Harrington. <laughs> Here you go, Eve. Eve. Uh... Eve Harrington, right? She and she got to like skip a day of distance learning and get her COVID test and come on set. And I, I have to say, she was super professional and polite, <laughs> mm-hmm. and she was prepared, and she did a very, very good job. And I think uh, Jeff, tell me if you agree, but I think she's very interested in like. Uh, I think she feels a part of the show, but she feels that way about Mr. Mayor too. Like she likes that we have these shows that are on TV now during her lifetime because 30 Rock means nothing to her. Kimmy Schmidt, she doesn't remember. Um, and But she hasn't been like personally thirsty. Like she's not, she hasn't been bragging that she's on it. She just like enjoys the episodes and wants to watch them. <laughs> pretty cute. She's playing it cool. Yeah. She did a great job. She was Thank fantastic. You. I have to say, I really enjoyed working with her. And actually, it's funny because I just want to say, Tina was, I, I wouldn't have been as on the fence as Tina, you seemed to be. I would have been like, yeah, put him in, like, get her in there. <laughs> but you were like, very much like, I don't know, is this a good idea? Am I, what's, uh, are you sure? And you like kind of said to me, like, are you sure this is like, I don't know. I'm not, uh, it makes me feel, uh, and I, my feeling was like, First of all, working with children, which I've done a fair amount of, is always so tricky because you're not just working with the kids. You're working with whoever their handler is, mm-hmm. and then their parents are there. And, like, it's a real roll of the dice, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the kind of person who's able to, like, or willing, willing, willing to, like, give up their own life to take their kid to a million auditions and stuff is, like, generally speaking, like, you know – it's a lot is all I'm saying. <laughs> so I, to me, and plus I was really nervous about COVID and I knew how strict you guys were being. 
she left again, guys. Just so you know. This is Just really. I am. I have to apologize. Just, it's fine. Cause. It's you know what? It's because oh, my back. dog keeps banging on the door, making noise. So I want to let him out. That's all right. You have <sighs> you have things going on. Um, but I was just like, I was so grateful to know that I knew that 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 right. the child playing my kid was not going to be like, uh, out. You know, not being COVID safe. True. True. That is true. Yeah. We did have, I've had a lot of very frank conversations with both our kids about what usually happens to child actors and how like, you can do this if you work for us, but you cannot go work for anybody else. Like, it was like, you know how, you know how when you come to the set and everyone's so nice to you because your mom and dad work there, that would not be the case if your mom and dad did not work there. (laughs) Like, cause it's, it can be rough. One last thing, Tina, I just want to say that we didn't really get a chance to talk about it, but your Dolly Parton was fucking fantastic. Thank you, Casey. Oh, Lord. You know, it wasn't supposed to be me. And then sometimes you just got to, I had to, I had to summon my, my, like my SNL impervious to humiliation armor and just be like, I'm just going to take my shot. It was amazing. I could just watch like six episodes of you just doing that. Like, yeah. Talk about commending people for doing fine. <laughs> no. Well, I, I don't think that's true at all, by the way. But also, like, like I want Dolly back season two. Well, I guess she Dolly lives, in, Do- she lives in Dawn's head. Dolly should be back and she should sing a song. To go from, and it should be Melissa Villa Senior. Because um, I didn't know Melissa. I found out, like, Melissa did it on SNL, like, the week after we filmed it. And I was like, son of a bitch. If I knew she could do it, I would have called her. Um, but uh, the to go from, like, full pandemic, like, sweatpants, never leave the house, into full Dolly regalia was a real something. That was, like, a lot. A pivot? That was a real pivot? Thank you. A pivot for you. Yeah. Just and and also just like amazing timing. Like just Dolly. Dolly like helped us get out of the pandemic. It was like just a genius, genius timing. Yeah. But uh yeah, you did you did such a great job. I'd tell you if you didn't. Thank you, dear. <laughs> was I supposed to be looking at this the whole time? Because I wasn't. Well, it's a podcast. Should we do this? Should we do it again? Jeff, you Not- did you did perfectly. You were okay. per, you were a perfect guest, and it was so perfect. nice to see you guys. Do you think we're going to get to do more girls five Eva? Uh, I mean, I, I can't see how we couldn't. That's a good question. I have no idea what cycle that's on. Um, well, guys, very glad that you took the pivots, and that when Jeff got that directing job, Tina really had to go for the job at SNL. <laughs> Due to her high ethical standards. Her Chicago improv, improv ethic, yeah. ethical standards. Yes. Did you ever feel, did you, I have one more question and then I'm going to really let you go. Did you ever, were you ever concerned about, because it was just a different time, about having your kids, Tina, and like not, and like in the height, like in your career, like, oh God, what if I get? Um, I, no, I was, I was a person who, didn't really think about having kids until like 33, like 33, like something, it was so chemical that something kicked in. And before that I was like, mm-hmm. oh, maybe, maybe I was, I was not driven to do it. Um, and then, then had Alice and then Penelope, they're so far apart because I guess I just kept thinking like, well, maybe when 30 Rock gets canceled, we were always on the edge of being canceled. And I was like, well, maybe I'll try again after it's, it, the show gets canceled. And then it just went on for seven years 
So <laughs> then I was like 40, 41. I was like, I gotta go. I gotta try. So I was 41. No. Well, Penelope is perfect. She's perfect. They so both are ways. lovely. They are. Young They're great kids. <laughs> I love that Busy was like, I just need to ask you one more question, then I'll let you go. And then she asked you like the biggest, um, deepest philosophical question you could I ever ask a woman. I was, just cur- I was just curious because you have such a, yeah, what? I remember something about that uh, in terms of like having it. Because I remember I was like, I was, I was, I did spin out a little bit about like, okay, I'm almost 40. This show's not ending. Like, do I try to have another kid? Um, and I was shooting and there was a minute, there was like a hot minute. Oh, here's Penelope now. There was a hot minute where I was maybe going to do a movie with Meryl Streep. It never happened. But I, and I was like, I, and I was shooting 30 Rock with, you have to be quiet, we're on a podcast. Okay. Um, I was shooting 30 Rock with Matt Damon and we we're just like chatting between takes. And I sort of was saying to him, like, what do I do? Are we trying to have another baby real quick? Or I might do this movie with Meryl Streep and you know, being a family man, but also being a guy, he was like, what are you talking about? Have a baby. Always do a movie later. Um, oh, yeah. He's so dumb. He doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think I got pregnant and then like was just keeping it to myself. And then the Meryl movie fell apart anyway. So I think you told Cheers. me he was kind of right. Like I shouldn't have put all my eggs in the Meryl basket. It didn't happen. Yeah. And you know what? Meryl, is still around. She's still making movies. So maybe Matt was right. Maybe he wasn't so stupid. Maybe he was right. No, I'm a firm believer in like, I just know that for so many of my friends and especially like, I don't know, man, just when you're in that phase of your life and your career is like going up in your 30s and then you ha- you do, it is, it is a thing. It's a thing. You can't do movies. I actually got cast and then was told that I was uninsurable because I was pregnant and they fired me in a in one to- comedy movie when I was pregnant with Bird. And then I got fired from the How to Train Your Dragon voiceover and got replaced with Kristen Wiig. But that was, I think, just because they wanted to. How did you get fired they from to a do voice? That? You just got, that wasn't due to pregnancy. Well, I mean, I was pregnant, but I think it was, they just wanted her. <laughs> Lord. Well, anyway, I was bummed. Meryl Streep, if you're listening, I'm sure you probably are. Let's go. Tina Fey, please call her. That could be her <laughs> She's next ready. pivot. She's ready. She's, for she's you. ready. She's ready. Are you going to do, are you going to create your, another show for yourself to star in? Um, That's a good question. I don't know. I don't have, you know, the biggest thing after seven years, and that is the biggest mom thing too, of like being home when people wake up, like leaving the house at 520 whatever in the morning when your kids are not awake is, is, uh, not ideal. No. So I don't know. I, maybe, I, maybe I'm just going to pause and then like slide in golden girl style and like, yeah, oh, I'm with you. Years. This is this, this is the thing that people don't understand when I say like I qu- quit acting or whatever. It really isn't about quitting acting. It's that like, I don't want to work that much while these people need me as much as they do. And also, and not only that, and they don't even probably really need me that much, but I just want to be around them. Yeah. You want to be around them. And it's almost, it's, someone had told me years ago that it's easier when they're, and I've told other people this, when they're tiny newborns. Yes. You can bring them everywhere. You can work. They need you more later. Mm -hmm. You're just Phoebe Catesing it right now. Yeah. I'm I'm in my Phoebe Cates. (laughs) 
Chrysalis? Didn't Phoebe Cates like decide that she was gonna like, I like to say chill? I'm, I'm Rick Moranising it. You're Rick Moranising it. <laughs> In like a You're couple Skeet, ways. Skeet Ulrich too. <laughs> but now he's back because his kids are grown. There you go. True. true. We're just naming people. All right, Casey. <laughs> Is that not that's not how we do a podcast? Okay. Well, I'll I'll tell you, mine are older and they will, yeah, there there's gonna come a time when, you know, they're gonna live on the other side of the country. That's what I can tell you. That's you'll right. never hear from them. It feels weird. Except for once a week. If you're once lucky. Once a week's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna say if you're lucky. Yeah. All right, guys, go enjoy your dinner. I'm gonna go have a margarita. <laughs> Have a nice weekend. Have a great thanks. weekend, everyone. Thank you so much for making time for us. Yeah, thank you. Anytime. And thanks for Anytime. giving me all these jobs that you've given me <laughs> and and believing in me in ways that defy my own belief in myself, guys, both of you. I'll never stop. <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate it. It means a lot to me. I've been getting like annoyed in my uh, interviews when they're like, they just read the, th- the one line thing. And they're like, Summer, the least talented of the thing. And I was like, you know, I really think that people believe the things that they're told about themselves. <laughs> and I think maybe that was just a thing that she believed about herself and that she's really is talented. Like, I just like, <laughs> can't handle it. Uh, anyway. Anyway, Girls 5 Eva on Peacock. Well, you go to the app store, you search Peacock, you download it. It's $5 a month. You can only get the first one free. Then pay the $5, get the rest of them. Then and you then, cancel then you get the you off and then you cancel it. I don't care. No, <laughs> I do care. I do care. I work for the company. I care. We, we do care. Well, that was fantastic. A delight. You know, you know what? Hmm. Um, RE, the sound issues, I found it like weirdly soothing. I'm going to be honest. I felt like it was like cocoon-like and relaxing. Well, also, guys, we've talked about it before on the show. You know, Tina is a soft talker. She's She's a soft soft talker. talker. I didn't mention it in the interview, but um, I hope she doesn't get mad at me saying this. But every time I've had um, a meeting with her, um, she's laying down on her sofa in her office. Oh, wait, with, you forgot to talk about that. I told I, you I wanted you to talk to her about that. I know, but we were having the sound issues. But every time I go into the office, she works very hard. That's the thing. Uh-huh. And so every time I, like, I've only had, like, a few, like, meetings with her. I've met her millions of times, but, Obviously. like, I've only had, like, a few scheduled meetings where it's, like, 4 o'clock and you go into her office. And uh, every time she's been like, oh, hello, yeah, I'm just laying really down. That is really funny. That is really <laughs> fucking funny. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. 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 Well, guys. Do you guys like this? Is this a good podcast? Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> okay, wait. I want to tell you something. What? I made a decision. What? I'm going to buy a fake fiddle fig tree. <laughs> I can't keep it alive. It. This is, it's not in my DNA. And I, I'm done with having this fucking plant make me feel bad about myself. Can I also, tell you something? My pulse is literally racing from how you set up whatever that decision was. I don't know what I thought it was, but buying a fake tree was not it. 
That was not the payoff for the setup that I was expecting. <laughs> really? What did yeah. you think I was going to say? I did not know. I didn't know, but that was not what I was expecting. <sighs> I'm relieved. You're very nervous. I was like, I didn't know what I thought you were going to say. You were going to like, I don't know. Shock you. I was going to shock I you. I thought you were about to shock me. I oh. thought you had a real shocker on deck for me. Um, okay. Do you have a, a fake fiddlehead fern tree in mind? Well, I did some research. Okay. And it seems like World Market is the one that people think is the best okay. fake. Okay. And I may just take a little trip over the bridge to Brooklyn and just pick it up. I might see. Good. What it, what's... Just throw it in the car. Yeah, you shouldn't. Don't let a tree make you feel bad about yourself. Well, I don't know, guys. If you're out there and you, too, have tried to jump on the hipster train of having a fiddle fig tree in your house, I like having some green around. But the problem is I cannot keep that fucking tree alive. It is. It has been an exercise in futility. And just and an exercise in making me feel bad about myself. So yeah, I'm done. I'm out. One time done. my mom got me a Tamagotchi. Do you know what those are? The Obviously, little toy. Casey. Yeah. Come on. But like in the 1990s, I was an adult. And like I uh -huh. just and like I'm not even like a real gadget girl. Uh -huh. But like because my mom got it for me, I like did the fucking Tamagotchi like constantly and then one night I went out and like I had some drinks which was not very normal for me to do and then like I slept in in the morning because I had a hangover and when I woke up in the morning my Tamagotchi was dead and I was like sick I was like sickened because I let my Tamagotchi die I felt horrible and like I had to <laughs> confess to my mom that I let my Tamagotchi die and then I, I was mean, like, what am I doing? What is wrong with me? What am I doing? I'm an adult. This is not a yeah. real, this is not a real thing. Well, the plant is real. But it's not you know? like, it's not a cat. No, that's true. The cats are still alive. Yeah, exactly. If the, if the plant could tell you what it needed to stay alive, I'm sure you would give it to it. Right. That's true. You know? That's true. That's true. Why can't plant, plants just talk? Although there is this app. If you do have plants oh that you are trying to keep alive, there is this app that my husband has called Picture It. I think Picture It or Picture This that you take a picture of the plant and it can A, tell you what the plant is, but uh -huh. B, I think it also tells you like what's wrong with the plant. So I don't know, but... Just saying, and I think it's also kind of weirdly expensive. I think it's a terrible name, and I think it's, like, expensive for an app. But if you're, like, a real plant bitch, you, it's maybe worth investing in. That's all I'm going to say. It's a I don't know if, I, I don't it, know if I'm going to. I think I might just go for the. Yeah, just get the fake one. Who fake cares? Ones. Yeah. Um, I mean, Rebecca was delightful. I really I love her. She's such a nice person. She's such oh here's how you know how much I like her because she's such a great writer and I'm like not even bitter about it. You know? Mm-hmm. Not even mad about it because I like her so much. Usually I'd yeah. be mad about it. Kind of, but she's mm. so nice. So 
We are doing the deepest sighing that we've ever done on it's just hard it's yeah hard yeah i don't know i'm feeling like a, a lot of it right now this yeah this second yeah right yeah are you feeling it i don't know lady you lady have, i mean i just i have to just make it through sunday and then i just have to yeah you're gonna make it through sunday i we'll see I think you will. We'll see. I have to say, like, I was just like, don't know if you went through this thing with your boys, but like, I just really see Birdie not being a kid anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it just is hard for me. It's just yeah. really hard. Yeah. I know this is like, this is what happens, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it, hard. It's hard. I had, here's what I will say. And I hope he doesn't mind me saying, I don't think he will mind me saying that with my older son, there were some challenges where I was just so happy that he had gotten to the place where he had grown up Mm -hmm. that I was thrilled. I know. I know. And also same, you know, like I feel really, I don't know. It's part of what's like difficult about my feelings about being here and not in LA. Yeah. Which is that, I really do believe that this is the best thing for this yeah. kid and probably yeah. for cricket too, if I'm being real. And and then also I do hope that Girls Fly Love goes for at least another year. I hope so too. But I also hope, here's what I'll say to you. And I know I'm not trying to like make you not feel your feelings because that's the worst when you're having feelings and somebody's like, no, look on the bright side. Like you don't want to look on the bright side. You want to feel your feelings and you should be able to, but I hope you're able to enjoy the success of girls five Eva right now and not worry too much about whether or not it gets picked up because like whether or not it does, that's someone else's decision. That's not your right. decision. And like, if they're smart, if they're sane, it will get picked up. But the part that you controlled, how great it was, you did that. You smashed it. No, I know. And I am really, I'm really thrilled with that. Just like, (laughs) just like the thing that like people just never fucking tell you about life is that it's just never one thing. It's just never one thing. It's like- You have to hold that. It's the same conversation over and over again about different in, in different ways, but you have to hold all of these different things. I am super excited about Girls 5 Eva and like even the response that it's gotten and, and it was super fun to do and really hard, but like really yeah. fun. And I'm glad that it's out in the world in the way that it is. Um, and also like, I just have other personal stuff that's like hard and then moving here is weirdly hard yeah but also I'm happy 
about certain aspects of it, but it's hard not to be sad about certain aspects of it. And I think that like when you're a kid or a teenager, when you're growing up, I think that we all have this idea that like you hit a point at some, in some way, somewhere as an adult where you're like, this is it. It's like, all it's, like easy you know I mean? now. it's all good. It's all good. And it's just like never fucking is. When my son was like seven, I think like we, you know, part of his doctor wanted him to be on like a certain diet because he was like sensitive to certain foods or whatever. And I remember him being like, when I'm 17 years old and I have my driver's license and my own part-time job, I'm going to go and get pizzas anytime I want to. And I just remember him being like, like that was his demarcation. Like I will live my life the way that I want and no one can stop me. And, you know, and I think, that we all kind of feel that way or like that Beach Boys song, like, wouldn't it be nice, you know, if we were older and we, you know, and we could like, they're basically saying like, wouldn't it be nice if we could spend the night together and not have to like answer to anyone and everyone, you know, that we all like have our friggin' dreams, but you don't think about like, wouldn't it be nice if we could spend the night together and pay a fucking mortgage and raise our kids and do, you know, just all this (laughs) bullshit. And our kids and our kids have their own lives and issues. And then also our parents do as well. And And, like, and our kids are trying to to get away from us and thinking about when they're older and they can spend the night with other people. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's never ending. It's fucking never ending. It's never ending. And, but I will say this, Ari, also your kids getting older. I just think that I think you have some amazing times ahead of you with your kids. That's what I'll say. I think so, too. I do think that's true. I do think that that's true. I know that's true. Yeah. And I think that a lot of the things that have been frustrating and challenging will be so worth it. And so that's what I think. Knock on wood. That's what I hope. I hope you've worked so hard as a... Just knocked on wood. You've worked really hard as a parent. You've put in the work. Everybody at home, you've been putting in the work as a parent. You know, I I just, I hope that it pays off for you all to, um, that, you know, that your kids love you and, and see you as the hardworking people and loving people that you are and that, you know, and that they know that you see them as hardworking and loving people that they are. And also just that like, I have to be better about knowing that like, it's just never going to be the thing where I'm just, it just isn't. I have to just like be able to hold all of the things and not lose sight of the good shit. Cause what ends up happening is that like I get overwhelmed with the other stuff and then I'm like, I lose sight of what's great. You're right. Yeah. I do that. Well, you know how you always say that you are like a witch and you write stuff down, you write things down that you want. Yes. Yes. Maybe you need to like put another piece of paper to the side and write down the things that are great when they happen. Okay. Yeah, I can do that. I really can. I should. You're right. That's good. Also, by the way, Gina has her like mouth warts and we finally got her on 
Did I tell you about these? No. Did we talk about those? No. Fucking Gina got mouth warts from doggy daycare. Mm. And just DPV. It's not HPV, right? Because that's human pamplonavirus. So it's got to be DPV. Dog papillomavirus? It is pamplona, yeah. papilloma virus. Yeah. Anyway, so you can't get them from dogs. Thank God. That's good. Because she does lick our faces a lot. And that would be yeah. gross. That's but anyway... She's got these like dog warts on her mouth. Finally took her to the vet. She got her, she needed some vaccinations too. Yeah. And so then they gave her like, she's going to do antibiotics to see if it'll help with the warts. Cause I guess you kind of just have to wait it out or you can do a Z pack essentially. Yeah. Okay. So she's like on day three of the antibiotics, but then they called me and they're like, she tested positive for not Lyme, but like this other tick-borne thing, disease. Damn, Gina. I know. And, but they don't know if she's like got it, got it, or if she just like has the antibodies. So listen, now we all know the lingo. We had to take her back and have more blood taken for a PCR test. PCR, guys. Yeah. For the to see if she's got the thing. I can't remember what it's called. But if she does have it, to get her on antibiotics immediately, like it could be, it could like cause, she could die. No. Yes. It's like a blood, it's like a blood thing, like a blood disorder or something could can cause them to bleed out. And then I just have been crying about that. Like my Gina. And, And then like, her little mouth looks so gross. <laughs> when are you but getting I, the test okay. results back? I mean, hopefully today or tomorrow. And then when are... Do, aren't they putting her on the medicine preemptively? No, because he because he's like, it could just mean that she's got... That she did get... Like when she had that... T- she had a tick. Yeah. Remember when she had the tick? Yes. So I assume that that was the tick that caused this. Yeah. Although who could, who knows? But anyway, if, if so, you're worried that she has this disease and she's going to die from it, can you not say it would make me feel better if she got on these antibiotics preemptively until we get the results of this? And then would that hurt her? Oh, that's a good question. But she's already on the Z pack for the warts. So. But I think it's like doxycycline that you give them for the other thing. I say call the vet and ask what you can do to make you stop worrying that Gina's going to die. Okay. I am worried. Because sometimes... I am very worried. Sometimes vets are numbskulls. And they're not thinking about how you're sitting at home crying, worried about what's going to happen to your girl. She's just such a good dog. Of course she is. She's a good girl. I know. She's a good girl. She's so sweet. We cuddle every morning before we get up. Yeah. But she's so good because she knows that she can't crowd me at night, you know? (laughs) (laughs) She sleeps on the ground or at the foot of the, like on the little bench at the foot of the bed. My old dog, Frida Pie always crowded me at night. He was white and I called him the tampon because he would just, (laughs) (laughs) 
be up my badge so hard. Oh my God, Frito pie, get out of there. <laughs> Just as much as he could. Well, guys, I don't know. Is this an, was this a downer? Maybe. Maybe this episode was a downer. No, I think it's a I think it's a fine episode. I didn't eat a salad during it, so that's good. I'm gonna eat one right now. <laughs> I do have one waiting for me, just FYI. And I want you to know that Mark and Ray texted and said, Do you want your salad? And I didn't respond. Oh because wow. I thought, well, I do, but I'm not gonna do it. Also, I felt like Rebecca was like a guest that I don't know well enough to try to shovel food into my face while she's here. Interesting. What do you mean interesting? No, that's interesting. Guys, listen, we love you so much. We're going to keep doing our best. I'll keep you posted about Gina. I know now everybody's going to be worried about Gina. Let's try not to worry about Gina. We love you, Gina, if you're listening. We'll talk to you next. She doesn't. She's not a podcast listener. She doesn't (laughs) love them. She just doesn't love them, Casey. (laughs) She's not interested. We'll talk to you next week. We love you. <laughs> love Bye. you guys. Bye. Bye. Oh, no.